Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. It's a shame that you're all interrupted and then they're looking at you then being refused. You're nearly crying out the doors, I think that it's inevitable. By 2031, PJ, we will have a cashless society. He was out of it, like, and he kept complimenting me. I didn't even feel safe in my own city. Join the conversation. Call 0818 made it. It's Friday and it's a big, big weekend for Cork City, of course, because we have the jazz on this weekend. It's the bank holiday weekend and the city is going to be celebrating and hopefully you'll have a bit of a carnival this weekend and hopefully although the weather forecast is not great it's kind of typically jazz weekend so we're going to have sunshine, we're going to have rain, we're going to have wind, we're going to have a bit of everything but you know, if you're heading out, do bring a raincoat because it's the jazz weekend so of course we're going to have a bit of rain. Now a very, very, very busy show for you this morning. Lots to cover, lots going on uh, across Leaside this morning, but we're going to start with one of the, I suppose, one of the most shocking events and one of the most, the, one of the bloodiest events and mur- a murder uh, in recent years in Cork. And people will remember the death of uh, a Polish man, Balan Colleague, in 2018, um, and a man who was basically, and it's terrible to say, but a man who was uh, hacked to death with, with a machete. Liz Dunphy has been covering this story for the uh, Examiner. Uh, good morning, Liz. Good morning, Joe. Yeah. Liz, um, there was a, an inquest yesterday, yesterday, and inquests sometimes, they don't, they're not the most dramatic of things, but there was a major development in this case of, uh, of this Polish man. Can you tell us about it? There was, absolutely. So yeah, just for a little bit of background, Mikolaj Wilk was a 35-year-old father of two. Um, As you said, it was a very distressing case. Uh, It was memorable, I would think, for a lot of your listeners due to its barbarism, really. Um, Basically, he was in his home in Magdalen Bridge outside Ballancolig with his wife and two children when a gang of up to five men broke into the house, attacked him very viciously, including with machetes. Um, and he, he subsequently died of the injuries afterwards. His wife, Elisabetta, was also very badly injured, trying to protect her husband. She had to have surgery on her hand. Uh, she had injuries to her face. And their two children were notably in the house at the time, but luckily escaped injury. So a really, really awful situation. Six people were actually arrested up to 2019. They were from Latvia, Poland, Ireland, in connection with his death. Um, but they were released without charge. But then yesterday in Cork Coroner's Court, um, Sergeant Fergus Toomey announced that significant progress had been made in this case and that a file is now expected to be sent to the the Director of Public Prosecutions shortly. So that essentially means that we could be expecting charges um, in this case imminently, really. Um, It's been more than five years ago, so 
um, you know, I'm sure people will be interested to hear that that there is progress expected on it now. Um, Coroner Philip Cummin adjourned the inquest until April 25th, um, you know, pending, pending um you know, progress in this yeah. case, essentially. He, he had been working, hadn't he? I mean, the, the mm-hmm. family were well settled in the Ballancolig area, weren't they? Absolutely, yeah. So Gordy notably said that there was no evidence of any criminal links with Mr. Wilk. Mm. They, he was a hard-working man. He had a, a horticulture, a gardening business in the area, which seemed to have been doing well. Um, they seemed to be a very, you know, quiet, normal, nice family. Um, so it was really... Shocking it was because I remember the the morning and and when when the news broke about this and, and I think a lot of people in Cork almost did a double take because it just sounded so almost outlandishly terrible. I mean, it, it, it was it it was a really horrific attack, wasn't it? I think that's a good description. Yeah, outlandishly terrible. Yeah. Terrible. I remember Gardy saying at the time that they were even shocked that it was so unusual to see an attack like this in Ireland. Really, it was just so barbaric. And, you know, taking place in front of a young family like that yeah. in their home in the early hours of the morning of yeah. June 10th, 2018, it's, it's something, you know, from a, t- a thriller, a, t- a horror movie or something. It's yeah you know, really appalling stuff. I know we have to be careful around the legal aspects of this, but mm-hmm. is part of the problem that we're maybe the Gardaí were dealing with multiple jurisdictions and people from different parts of Europe and that if people, for instance, leave uh, uh, Ireland and, and return back home, it's hard, you know, you then have to talk to the police in various countries and you have, there's international warrants and things like that. Do we know if that was kind of complicating the investigation for Gardaí? It definitely sounded like a very difficult case in that regard. Um, international police forces, so in police forces in Eastern Europe and Interpol and Europol were aiding Gardaí with the investigation, yeah. I understand. So, yeah, it was a very, it sounds like a very wide-ranging, complex investigation. Yeah, because, because I know the, the Gardaí uh, have become much more linked, so to speak, in recent years and, and in some cases have had to because we now have large kind of, you know, populations from outside of Ireland. Uh, the Europol... Uh, uh, is a, it's a much more linked system, but there still are formalities that people have to go through. There's also language difficulties because we had another case during the week where you know uh, translators uh, had to get involved, and it, it, it is com- these cases. People might wonder why is it taking five years, but uh, but there are hidden complexities to these kind of cases, aren't there? You're definitely right. There are absolutely hidden complexities mm-hmm. and it can be so hard to track people, yeah. you know, when they are in other jurisdictions, as you mentioned. And, you know, the people who were arrested and were released without charge, they weren't arrested on um, suspicion of, of murder. They were arrested on suspicion of facilitating and supporting an organised crime gang, which would suggest that Gardaí may believe that an international organised crime gang could be behind this and you know, it's it's a difficult thing to yeah. track down, as you said, really. Yeah, Liz, so we know there will be progress on this invest. Well, we're expecting maybe, uh, filed to the DPP. We're expecting progress on this in this, in, not in the long term, really. It will be relatively soon from what, the, from what we heard yesterday. Yeah, Sergeant Fergus Toomey definitely seemed to suggest that we could expect um, progress in the near future. So he said shortly. So, yeah, we'll just have to keep our eyes and ears yeah. peeled. And that, that. That, will be, that will be a big case, of course, uh, when, it, when it does happen. And I'm sure it's going to get extensive coverage. Um, Liz Dunphy from the Irish Examiner, thanks very much for talking to us this morning.
Thank you. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks 96 FM. The Big Drive Home. With Izzy Showbizzy. On Corks 96 FM. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. for chances to bag yourself Oak Fire Pizza vouchers for voice notes like this. Any chance you could play the Becky Hill song there disconnects me because I'll be disconnecting myself now shortly. I'll keep you company no matter what you're up to. Come here, can you play some belters only? I just need a good song to get me in the mood going up the road to Dublin. And I'll be giving you more chances to escape your barking dog and kids with great prizes. For myself and my partner who would love the tickets would be fantastic. Join me weekdays from 4 p.m. The Big Drive Home. With Clonakilty Food Company. Be prepared for any mealtime with Clonakilty's delicious sausages, rashes, and puddings. Clonakilty, a family of great tastes. Now, here's something that we need to be aware of this weekend, and actually uh, all of the time, because there's been a few cases of this recently. Fake taxis. Uh, operating in Cork, right? During the summer, there was a couple stopped by, um, a couple of fake taxis stopped in West Cork uh, by multi-agency checkpoints, you know, these multi-agency checkpoints that we're seeing a lot of uh, recently around on the roads around Cork. And last week, uh, Cork City Road Policing Unit, uh, Gardaí, stopped a, ta- a car that was basically operating as a taxi. Now, this weekend, with so many people in town from outside of Cork as well for the Jazz Festival, you know, how do you know that the taxi you're getting into is actually a fully licensed taxi? Because they've pulled ones over in the past that have the roof, you know, the roof lights, everything looks like a taxi, but it's not. We've got Bobby Lynch from the Cork Taxi Council on to talk to us. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning. Good morning, Joe. Yeah. Bobby, is this something that you, you, you guys have encountered yourselves? Have you seen people operating as, as basically, you know, fake taxis in Cork City? We have, and like this has gone on for years, yeah. but there's nothing been done about it. And like this, the jazz weekend, it's it's, it's a brilliant weekend for Cork, and like uh, like we want people to go and enjoy themselves and make sure they go home safe, you know? Because like uh, this is a jazz weekend that's gone for years, and uh, it's brilliant for the city and everyone else. But uh, unfortunately, like for the last few months, we we do see a lot of cars going around. That's the the have D on the roof, just D. Yeah. Now, you must have a C on the roof to operate in, in your county that, that you work in. Right. That you can have a D up on the roof, but you must have a C as well. Right. When you now, say a D on the roof, is that does, we're talking about car vehicles with those with the the, the taxi roof lights on on the yeah, top of with, them. With yeah. the roof light, yeah. yeah. You see, the, the, see what's what's happening. You can't buy a taxi saloon player anymore. Yeah. And fellas are trying to come into this industry. They're going to Dublin. They're renting a car, bringing it down to Cork or whatever, yeah. and operating without a C on the roof. You cannot go on the, ro- on the road unless you have a C yes. and everything matches up. But if you look at it, when the girls are out in the checkpoint, a lot of the girls don't know what to look for because they're not taught what to look for. If you see a, a taxi coming to, uh, towards you, you can see, when you stop the car, you can see the insurance date, you can see the NCT date, you can see the tax date. But if you go to look at the license date on the taxi, that's the green sticker, mm. you cannot see the, the date because it's so small. Yeah. Why, why, and our question is, 
why is that so small? Yeah. And if we look at the door cards on the door, the number of the taxi is in small writing as well. That should be enlarged. Yeah. Well, you see, the part of the issue here is, I know anecdotally people will, will say, right, I got, and especially in Dublin, because I remember this happening in Dublin a lot, where at the weekend especially, you'd have people arriving in from all over kind of the greater yeah. Dublin region because they knew it was like mad business going on in Dublin because yeah. so many people out. And I remember friends of mine saying to me, listen, as long as I get home, because it's so, it's some, it's so hard to get a taxi in Dublin, as long as I, I get home, I don't really care if the guy has, you know, is fully licensed <laughs> or whatever. But yeah. if you're in an accident... And yeah. there's no insurance yeah. cover because no. he's operating illegally. Uh, he's not. He's not yeah. insured to car- to carry passengers. No. Another thing is like uh, they say. I don't care once I get home. Yeah. There's going to be. There's going to come a time that someone won't be getting home. There'll be something done to him. Yeah. Well, yeah. There's a good point as well that you know there's no vetting procedure. I suppose if somebody can just go out and get a roof light from somewhere, stick it on top of their car, and start cruising the streets at night, but, you don't know. Do they have a criminal record? Are they dangerous? Exactly. Yeah. Like Paul Bond and myself and uh, John O'Keefe uh, did, did a piece with Paul Bond about uh, a roof sign and door cans stickers for, for your hair. Mm. And Paul sat down, it was on the, on the nose, he reserved the order of sign and the door cans, and they were delivered to his address. He put a car on the road and went off out and showed how easy it is to operate during the day yeah. as, a, as a taxi. And he did it two years running. Yeah. Two years running, and the NTA said that they're out looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, they didn't have no hold of this industry. Yeah. When the girls had it, the girls knew what they were doing. I, re- I remember, I remember the pop, the proper carriage office in Dublin, yeah. and and they so, knew what they were doing. They really so, did. Yeah. Yeah. No, our carriage office in Clark is yeah. gone from Manchester Street. Right. No, okay. Didn't know our that. carriage office has gone out to Bannon Colleague. Yeah. And if I or any of the other drivers want to see the PSV sales, and we have to send an email in. Right. Long ago, we could walk in Dangerty Street yeah. and talk, and especially myself and, and uh, Derry Carlin, we could walk in Dangerty Street and talk to the PSV sales and doubles in charge. Yeah, okay. And that's kind. Yeah. And why, why is it kind? Because yeah. they don't want no one knowing about this industry. We have a taxi advisory council that was set up to help drivers. Now it's kind the other way. Mm. It's kind to destroy drivers, because I was put off that committee, because the crowd that's on it now, there are more declared owners, most of them. They're not representing any drivers out there. And the thing is, they're sworn to secrecy. They cannot tell no one nothing. Right. That's why we were put off, because we were telling everyone everything. And okay. they, we want the public to be safe this weekend, and we want plenty of people coming into town. We are all of that the weather was kind of bad, but like, People accepted it down through the, yeah, the, the wet, bad weather. The, it's, it's the jazz weekend. The weather, the weather, forget about the weather. It always <laughs> rains and it's fine. Exactly. We, we, we put up with it. But hold on a second now, Bobby. I want to bring in Derek, Derek O'Keefe, who's a Cork taxi driver as well. Derek, is there any way to kind of police this? Or how can people know that they're using proper registered legal taxis? Uh, good morning. Good. Uh, good morning, Bobby, as well. How are you? Uh, yeah, it's it's a challenge on the hands of all taxi drivers, not in Cork, but around Ireland. And I guess the only way electronically we have at the moment is to use the Taxi Check app that's in place by the Transport for Ireland. 
And I would recommend anyone that is out and about this weekend or indeed any time during the year, before they get into a vehicle, to make sure that they check that the licensed vehicle um, is in fact a fully licensed driver and they right. can go onto the taxi check app and make sure that that license is uh, correct both for the vehicle and the driver's license for the county, uh, the county that they're meant to be working in. Okay, Derek, that's, that's, so give me the name of that app. Is this a free app? Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's brought about by Transport for Ireland. It's called Taxi Check App. Okay. And it's downloadable on Google or iOS. Right. And when you go into that and you open the app up, it's, it, it will ask for a number. So if a, a person or a client is approaching a taxi, up on top of the roof sign, uh, on the roof sign you'll see a five-digit number. Hmm. Uh, normally a five-digit number for Cork. It could be 36111, for example. They put that in. And once they put that into the app, they'll get the driver information and right. the name of the driver, the um, the registration of the driver, and they'll also give the county that the vehicle and the driver is okay. registered to operate in. If any of that information does not match, then the customer should not get the yeah. black card. Well, Derek, this is interesting because, you know, the way sometimes women travelling alone especially, uh, often their fam- friends or whatever will say, listen, let me know how you're getting on, let me know you got home. And so can you share this kind of information? So can you say, like, can you say, okay, I'm in taxi number X uh, and, and that's the number and this is the driver. So to let people know as a kind of a, a, kind of a, a, a reassurance, I suppose, for family and friends? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if, if you're going onto that application and you know that the driver is a fully legalized driver, yeah. number one, and, and more importantly, and something which we've had to tackle with over the last few months is that drivers are coming from different counties in Ireland yeah. who haven't passed the exam in Cork at that particular time, have been operating in the Cork area. Um, we know from that application that the people who are working in Cork are licensed in Cork, mm-hmm. or alternatively, no, they're not. If you see a different county, then you go, OK, this driver isn't licensed for the county of Cork, so maybe I'll just wait for the next taxi. Yeah. And, and then hit that report button button yeah. down the end and send that report off because yeah. that goes directly to the NTA. I, I have gone into taxis recently on busy nights in Cork and I, I've got a seven-year-old so I don't get out a hell of a lot but I do get out occasionally and yeah. and I've gone into taxis where it seems like the person who's driving the cab has no idea where he's going and is barely kind of like uh, barely knows the layout of Cork. I mean, is is that an issue as well? Because are, are, there, are people coming from outside of the city and even outside of the county for very busy uh, periods? Yeah, times and times have changed. Yeah. Uh, going back to the the olden days mm. and the likes when Bobby and all of us were in it. Going back even twenty years ago, yeah. we would, I guess, you know, we would have had um, a better local knowledge. Yeah. It takes time to accumulate of knowledge of a certain area. Um, and this year alone, we've had the highest amount of entrance into the industry in a few years. Yeah. There is actually a backlog. We actually, for the first time, have a shortage of taxis that are available both to rent um, in this country and plates. Yeah. Now, that's a story for another day. Yeah. But um, we are at a position where we have a record amount of people coming into the industry. And a lot of these who have just passed their test um, are out on the road. So it will take time for them to, uh, I guess, gather knowledge on yeah. the local Cork area. But, you know, we're, we're living in, uh, I don't really like saying this, but we are living in a sat-nav era at the moment yeah. where most of the apps out there, the the bigger worldwide apps, would basically have drivers 
following their system yeah. and saying you should go left turn here, right turn here. But, but I guess you, those for us in the industry for 10, 15, 20 years will go, okay, you just go down the street, take left, take right, yeah. and home. Yeah, I know. 20 years ago, my, my late father was driving a taxi around Cork. Um, Der- Derek, are you going to be out yourself this weekend? Um, I, I will be out. Yeah. But c- c- can I take this opportunity to say one thing? Because yeah. taxi drivers always come under a lot of criticism after a big weekend in the city. Yeah. And I just want to just pinpoint one elephant in the room here. Um, and I know the likes of Bobby and all these people are fully committed to providing a first-class service. Mm. But we would ask the people of Cork that are travelling this weekend, just remember one simple point. A lot of the people coming into the city this weekend will be doing so by bus yeah. or by train, which which is fine. Coming in. But, yeah. <laughs> but these services, yeah. because of whatever process and procedure, are pulling the plug around midnight. Yeah, it's crazy. So all these... Tens of thousands of people are mm. coming into the city. They've come in by bus or train, and they are being left stranded, yeah. for, for lack of a better word. And it is up for the taxi industry then to double down and, and try and, and to get, get them home. I know everyone home. But so the patience. problem is, we have way more people yeah. coming out. So it will take us time. Okay. And all I ask is for the people of Cork to have a little bit of patience. Yeah. I'm addressing this right now, so. People won't be wondering after the weekend. It, we will get you home, yeah. but it may take, it may take longer because your other service providers have just left you yeah. there. No, listen, that's a very good point. And we ask, I'm sure people will be patient and they'll respect their taxi drivers because it is a tough job. I know that from, from my own, my, my late father, like I said, uh, yeah. although he mostly did the airport run because he, he liked that. But um, uh, but listen, Derek, that's great. Thanks very much to talk. And it's an important message. So we'll be patient this weekend. We'll be nice to our taxi drivers and everybody will get home eventually. Thanks very much, Derek O'Keefe and Bobby before him. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Check this out. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Let's have some fun. Each and every afternoon on the radio, it's me, it's you. Simon, what's the crack? It's these guys. Hey, this is Ed Sheeran. Hey, this is Selena Gomez. Hey, this is Hosier. I've got the big names on for a chat like Joel Curry. Hey, Simon, mate. I'm all good, thanks. Good to speak to you, bro. This is my dream. I'm living my dream, so I'm never, ever going to, like, complain about it. And I just love dishing out them prizes. Yay, thank you so much. That's absolutely amazing. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4 p.m. With First South Credit Union, where your needs are put before profits. First South Credit Union. Members come first. Is this, is this how we do it? Corks 96 FM. It's Joe Shea sitting in for PJ this morning. Um, now, actually, I was thinking back about the floods that we saw last week, and it was just amazing when you think about it that there was no loss of life or serious injury and in everything that happened, because, of course, in Cork, we're surrounded by water in our city, uh, you know, the countryside, but also, you know, we're on the coast and it's water safety is something we have to take very seriously. But unfortunately, and this has been going on for years, in the city especially, the life rings that we see along our keys often are missing. And uh, Dave Varian is the Secretary of Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery. And Dave, good morning to you. Morning, Joe. Good. You, how many life rings have you guys uh, taken from the River Lee in the last couple of months? 
Well, the last couple of months, well, we are, have already handed back 10 um, only maybe two weeks ago, That's 10 life rings. But I'd say since then, we have another at least eight or nine in our base at the moment in uh, John Horgan Key that we have taken out again since, you know. Yeah, that's, that's that's it's incredible. I mean, so you're seeing them every day, I suppose. Really, you're seeing life rings floating floating along the river. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of unfortunately it's normal for us to see them. You know, we find that um, after weekends we would go in on Mondays. Um, our volunteers would do a sweep on the river. Yeah. We call it a sweep, but um, we would take out a lot of life rings. You know, and um, it's 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 madness, really. Like. Yeah. So that's people, there's people going out at the weekends, going in town, going into drinking or whatever, coming back and on the way home deciding they're going to see these life, they're going to just take them and chuck them in the river. Yeah, it, 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 that seems to be the case, all right, you yeah. know. Yeah. Why, why exactly? Nobody knows. It's probably because of a lack of education, you know, yeah. but they're a life-saving appliance. They're there for a reason. Yeah. And what we find frustrating is that, like, they're there to save a life, you know. Yeah. If they're... If, like if there's a defibrillator on the side of the river, you don't throw that into the river. Why yeah. would you throw this? Yeah. You know, it's it's mind boggling that people. I mean, there's lots of words you could call them, and and most of them would not be suitable for for broadcast on radio. But it's mind boggling that no. somebody could be walking past a, a life ring, and especially in Cork, and especially no, especially in this time where we're at, because. I know from from following what you guys do, and it's incredible work, and I see you all the time out in the river. There's there's been a lot of people in 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 the lee in in recent months. It, it's it seems to be a space of people ending up in the river for a variety of reasons, but it it, it is something that you guys see uh, uh, very regularly. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's it's it um, it's too regular that we see them in the water. You know the yeah. life rings, but, but I suppose going back to uh, as well because I mean there's been a lot of rescues and also unfortunately bodies recovered from from the river in, in recent weeks and months. Well, I suppose there have been, for whatever reason, um, people end up have ended up in the water. Yeah, you know, Cork City Fire Brigade have uh, do a fantastic job. Yeah, you know their their uh, response time, but um, unfortunately there is. And I suppose when we see the life rings going down the the, the river that are being just vandalised and thrown in, yeah. it always makes us think, you know, some sometimes somebody's going to need one of them and it's not going to be there. Yeah. That's the danger, you know. Yeah, because I mean, now, I'm, in fairness, I'm, sorry, but imagine like you see somebody in the river and you go, oh, right, and you run to the nearest to stand where, where you see those rings and they're all, we will be past them. You, yeah. you run to the, and, and then it's gone. There's nothing there. And, you, and you're looking at somebody well, yeah. in the river. That that would be the danger. Now, in fairness, there, um, Cork City Council have a um, an officer. He he goes around and he he replaces them all the time. Colin Russell, he's really good at it, you yeah. know, because we would ring Colin when we have life rings at the base, and we he'd come and pick them up, you know. Yeah. So I mean, they do they do, in fairness to them, they do keep on top yeah. of it. But I suppose from our our perspective, it's just to put it out there that, you know, it is a life saving appliance. Mm. Sometimes someone whoever does this. May need it, someone in their family, one of their friends, for anybody. It's there for a reason, you know. Yeah, and and how are you guys getting on Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery? You're you're fully volunteer group, is it, that's correct? Is it? We, we are, we are, we're all yeah. volunteers. Yeah. yeah, so we're we're all volunteers, and we were just we're there to help. And yeah. um, our search coordinator, Chris O'Donovan, he has the phone, 
and you know the guards would call us or the coast guard and we'd go and help you know I've seen because I, like I said I've seen oh. I've seen you guys out and I know people will pass you have a base there on Horgan's Quay uh, just as you, you swing have. onto the quay and you're coming up past the, uh, the, the, the Kent Station and Kent Station where it comes onto the quay there um, that's right yeah if how are you fixed for 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 support at the moment? Because I know as a volunteer group, and and you have gear, you have ribs, you have engines, you have I'm sure having to buy. Oh, we have uh, we have drones, we have yeah. size scan sonars, yeah. we have yeah. And it, I I suppose a group like yourselves, you're you're always looking for support. If people want to kind of help out with Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery, uh, what's the way to get in touch? Do you do you have a Facebook well, page for starts? We have a Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, they can contact on our Facebook page, or yeah. they can contact us on our. Email email you know and like we we have lots of we have in fairness we have lots of uh, support you know we have yeah. people doing fundraising events and they do the mini marathon or you know yeah and and that that keeps us going but if anybody you know anyone wants to contact us there's our facebook page and then our email address is on that as well you know that they can send us an email i think all the cork people and especially if they're from the city and the south side of the city they'll remember in kaiser's hill is this a little lame running down the side of uh, elizabeth fort there off barrack street my mother grew up on that hill and there was a family there yeah. called the flins uh, or o'flins i think and they were fishermen inshore fishermen and they used to... They would have been long ago. Long, long right. ago. We're talking the 70s yeah, here, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But I remember them yeah. because they used to go out and recover bodies because they nobody knew the river like them. And they, they, would, yeah, yeah, and they yeah. would they would be called out when somebody was missing. But it's a very... It's it's a tough river, isn't it? It's a fast-flowing river. It's deep in places. It's it's a tough river it, to work on, isn't it? It is, it is. It's, yeah. It is, I suppose, tis, tis fast long. But it's also a beautiful, it's an also a beautiful place, you know. Yeah. In Cork, we're lucky. It's a, it, there's like, we have a lovely, the way the river splits in two. It is a lovely place, but it is it is also a dangerous area. And that's where these life rings are, why they're there, yes. you know. Yeah. And what, what, what their use is for, you know. Yeah. Okay. It's just, it's, it's just education people, yeah. you know. If when they see them, they're there for a reason. Yeah, and Dave, be, you know. Yeah, and Dave, I suppose uh, this weekend as well, there will be lots of people out partying in Cork this weekend. There, yeah, there might be people who are, you know, for might lose their heads and kind of feel, uh, kind of see your life ring. Oh, we'll have a bit of crack with that now or whatever. But I mean, yeah, just. It's, just think about it, you think know. Think about it, yeah. Think about the people who need it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, David Varian yeah. of the Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery Group. Thank you very much. And thanks for your work because mm. you're, you're a great group altogether. Joe, thanks a million. Okay, Cheers, Joe. You. Right. Now, we're kind of going to stay with water in one respect because um, you might have seen there's been a big kind of thing on social media around Cork in recent days uh, involving the Japanese gardens in Ballinlock. And we have local Labour rep Peter Horgan on the line. Peter, good morning. Morning, Joe. Yeah. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing this morning? Not too bad, not too bad. I'm down in the Japanese gardens talking to you. Oh, you're down there at the moment, yeah? Because, I'm down there at the moment, yeah. Yeah, because uh, people might have seen there was a big problem there. Tell us about what the problem was with the storage there. So I think after the, the heavy rain last week, which caused so much devastation around Cork City and County, um, what happened is in the Japanese gardens here in Banlock, the, the discharge sewers and the drains are, are unable to take the heavy rainfall um, that, that's been happening over the last number of years, especially. And back in March, I raised this with uh, Ishkair and Irish Water. They've been rebranded to Ishkair and I was informed. Yeah. Um, 
that that you know the, the the drains are constantly starting to overflow on the road and residents have been saying this park users have been saying this to me and i was told back in march that there would be a a, pro, a program done this year to install a diversion foul sewer to take the pressure off the drains in around the japanese garden um, and that would also help people on Farland road so that properties wouldn't get uh, hit with, with, with spot flooding from heavy rainfall now, after the rainfall last week, I, no properties got hit, but what happened is that the sewer in the middle of the gardens uh, burst up. Yeah. And it's a foul sewer, and I want to choose my words carefully, Joe. Yes. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not very nice no. uh, dis- discharge that's coming out. Yeah. Now, the issue was raised with me with a resident uh, at the start of the week, and I came down and had a look at it, and I raised it with Ishgair, and uh, yesterday uh, morning, and with City Hall, and Ishgair were the body uh, tasked with uh, clearing it now, they've been down since yesterday. The manhole cover was up, which was a trip hazard in itself. Yeah. The trip, the manhole cover has been secured, and the drain, I'm told, has been um, cleared. The problem is, it's the it's the discharge still remains yeah. on the path and and in the grass. And and I know of at least two dogs that have gotten quite ill from it yeah. with vomiting. Uh, I've been down here this morning now since about. 20 past nine and you know i've met a lot of dog walkers and i'm just encouraging them to keep to the a different side of the park yeah. but it, it's also a park that's used for school children to go and for, to and from st anthony's and other yeah. schools in the area and we're coming into a bank holiday i know you I'm, know where I'm, where if the weather gets better yeah. people are going to get out and want to use parks like this yeah. and i've been on city hall to ask for a disinfectant style program to be brought down here just to kind of bring some sort of peace of mind because i'm down here i'm waiting on formal response from michigan Aaron and city yeah. hall and what exactly was done there's still a smell you know so the, yeah. the stuff is still here and we need to kind of make sure from a public health perspective that our parks are clean yeah well thanks thanks for for for, for being careful with your language because there may be some <laughs> late risers who are still eating their breakfast and uh, we do we don't want to uh, to ruin that but i saw the photographs and you're talking yeah there's stuff let's say uh, all over the grass on the paths there's uh, white paper uh, well kind of white paper all over the path it's it's not nice and i suppose what we saw was almost like the, the the pressure backing up and literally blowing the, 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 the manhole co- or the sewer yes. cover off, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, the path has been cleared. The, yeah. the, the path itself has been cleared of the debris that came from the sewer and there is a mm. one bolt on the manhole cover now. Why one? I'm not quite, quite sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, I'm just looking at it then, I think there's about seven seven holes where there could have been seven bolts put in yeah. where only one was put in. Um, but So I suppose what we need to see now is we need to see that program of a diversion sewer kind of fast track yeah. so I meant to be on the 23, 2023 programme we're coming into November do you know it's hard <laughs> you know you want to make sure that these these programmes are kind of and, and uh, if it, completed yeah if you're looking at the long range forecast this morning there's there's a chance that Cork's going to get walloped by another storm next next week as that's well that's the problem yeah. so I mean my fear is that it's going to back up again with the yeah. rain, heavy rainfall it'll have another impact on the park and it could then have an impact on properties in Artfallon Road which you know I was speaking with one one person a few months ago who was purchasing the home, you know, for the first time, you know, a new first time buyer, yeah. and he didn't realise that there was the drain was going to back up, and he was told by a neighbour, "Oh yeah, you'll get flooded in your front garden." Yeah, you know, that's not good enough no. in this day and age, you know, for a highly populated area like this. And we need to ensure that we have, like, the money is there, the budget, it's on the budget yeah. line, it's on a program, 
let's get it done. Like, we need a yeah. fast decision-making process. This, this is not just... You see, sometimes when you talk about stories like this, people will say, oh, listen, it's only one park and it's one road and it's well, who cares? But this, we're going to see more... I mean, this has been an issue in the past, but the way things are going now with climate change, the way things are going with, you know, rising water levels, with extreme weather events, all over Cork and elsewhere in Ireland, but we're going to see more of this, aren't we? We're going to see more problems with drains, but more problems with water. We were talking uh, to somebody yesterday, and, and actually today I'm looking at on my phone right now, and this has been all over Cork on social media as well, uh, somebody's put up a picture, a lady in Ballancolic Community Hub Facebook page. Uh, there's, a, there's somebody has put up a, a kind of a, what looks like a, a coffee uh, press uh, full of tap water in Park Namore in Ballancolic, and it's absolutely filthy, dirty water. I mean, these are issues that we really, really have to take seriously now more than ever. Isn't that right, Peter? It's funny you say that because on Marlborough Hill in the last week, I've had residents contact me yeah. on, on, say, a Tuesday night saying, I have brown water coming out of my tap. Yeah. And I would say, right, okay, I'll, I'll have a look at it. We'll have a look. And then this morning they say, no, it's clear again now. Yeah. And then another host, two states away, will contact me and say, I have brown water now. And you're kind of going, is there is there's chinks in the system clearly happening? Yeah. Like I know the rainfall caused serious issues with the wastewater treatment plants down in, in East Cork yeah. and, and in North Cork, and I'm just wondering is that having an impact in the city as well? And and it's, it's happening right around Cork. It's, 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 it's Ballincollig are saying it, yeah. and Mary Hill is saying it, and Douglas yeah. said it, and Ballincollig and Banlock are saying it. You know there is a problem here. We do need to have a better kind of idea of what programs are happening yeah. you know it's, it's all well and good to say that something's on a program of works but if it doesn't happen in a year what, yeah. like what happens at budget line is that program then going to be fast tracked into I, 2024 I, what's happening I think That's parts of the problem and there's is a lack of, there's a lack of information there's a yeah. lack of communication coming out on yeah. the whole system about what needs to happen I mean yeah. there is like some, some of the engineers in Cork County for years have been talking about you know don't flush wet wipes and you shouldn't flush wet wipes yeah. you can see the wet wipes coming out of the, of the drains so that's that, that's a very simple um, communication campaign, but that's not going to address the the infrastructural issues yeah. that are there in our drainage system in Cork. Like there is significant old pipes that need to be replaced, and we need to know where they are. We need to have a have a blueprint of where these are going to be replaced as a as a as an urgent matter. Because if yeah. you don't have water, a huge thing, especially. Well, I think Peter's after dropping out there. Uh, and Peter, I think Peter's gone, actually. But that's why I think he got his message across. And I think it's a very important message. It's not just Ballin Lock and the Japanese gardens. And, there, you know, it is horrible to see raw sewage pouring across. But it's also, it's all over the city. And it's our water as well. So we really, really have to start taking that more seriously. And Irish Water need to maybe communicate better and tell us more about what was going on. We'll take a few comments because there's been loads of people getting in touch. The taxis thing. Um, the... Uh, the taxi app, a lot of people are asking, what's the name of that taxi app? So the name of the taxi app is the TFI, Transport for Ireland, Driver Check App. And it's available on iOS and Android. That's Anne-Marie was asking about that. So that's really worth, especially, you know, it's worth downloading because it'll tell you everything you need you need to know about the uh, the taxis you're getting. Um the, another comment, Joe, uh, Joe, this taxi setup is a nightmare. The regular Cork taxi drivers are being driven out of the industry in their droves. Ranks are closing down and a personal touch will soon be gone unless we try and protect our local taxi drivers. They're such an important part of Cork history and culture. And you're right, Emma, they are. And they know the city and they'll get always get you home and they'll know where you're talking about as well. Um, 
with the rings being thrown into the river, Kate was saying there should be an alarm or system around these, and a high-pitched noise that goes off when people mess with the life boys. Yeah, actually, that's not a bad idea, uh, Kate, because at least it would kind of shock the people who kind of grab these off, off the stands and throw them away. I know Karen is just like probably going to reflect what everybody's saying. What kind of idiots would actually do this? The mind boggles. It does, it does. Uh, Halloween, Alan is saying that this is coming up as well this weekend, of course, uh, Halloween. Um, Alan says he hates people calling to the house. I'm a complete bad humbug and I usually leave the house so I don't have to deal with all the kids. Well, bad humbug's Christmas, but I know what you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, listen, just have a bowl of, of, of heroes next to the door. Open the door, fire them out the door at people and they'll be happy and they'll go off and they'll leave you alone. Uh, I, I like Halloween. My daughter absolutely loves it. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. An evening of flora and song that takes place on Friday the 3rd of November at the Castle Hotel McCurry room at 8pm. There'll be a flower demonstration plus a performance from the local vocals. Proceeds from the event will go towards the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary on Cork's 96FM. Now, one of the issues, and we just talked about it there before the news, and it's come up all this week, and it's one that's really kind of getting Cork talking, is the amount of problems that people are having all over the city with water, uh, with really, really bad um, tap water coming out brown. And it's been going on for months and months and months. So uh, we talked recently, uh, uh, yesterday actually, about Montanati uh, and people up there having lots of problems. So we've got somebody on. Uh, Patrick, good morning to you. Morning, Joe, how are you? I'm good, Patrick. Uh, Patrick, you live up in uh, in, in Montanati, is that right? Correct, Gardner's Hill. Gardner's Hill, right, we all know it. Uh, yeah. Now, Patrick, what what's been, what has been the issue for you guys? Uh, we noticed over the last couple of months a little bit like yellowness in the water. Mm. Um, we did notice in the kitchen tap because the sink is black. And then when, we were, when you run a bath for the kids, you see this yellow urine looking color in yeah. the water because the bath is white. So it's very, very apparent. And uh, we kind of noticed that about eight, uh, eight weeks ago or so. And um, obviously we, we've been filtering our water for over a decade now at this stage mm. um, using a reverse osmosis filter. Right. And um, when when I went to change it there, you normally change the, the three filter system underneath um, every five months, but then I changed it the other day just because the water was so bad and it was like the filter system was absolutely rancid inside. It was just black, I saw, black uh, kind of... Yeah, yeah, I saw the picture online and I think a lot of people did because it kind of went viral because that those it looked like... It looked like somebody was changing the oil on a on a on a forty year old Massey Ferguson. Yeah, tractor. it's a fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was kind of greasy, uh, slimy kind of mud, you know, consistency. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was that was the finer of the three filter systems underneath, and then there's two other systems yeah. that that filtered further as well. But yeah. yeah, it's quite it's quite worrying. I think the biggest issue there is like that there was no notification of any of this thing going on. Yeah. Um, to any of the residents, you know, and it's all fine for us because we were quite aware of it. Yeah. But when it comes to other people who are just drinking it, Straight ingesting it in the food all the, every day, you know, and it's 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 crazy stuff. You well, know? Patrick, that's the thing because you you guys were smart enough and also proactive enough to get a, a reverse osmosis filter. 
They're not cheap. Um, I think they're around four hundred euros for the kind of the ones with couple pumps. of quid, couple of quid, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. A, a, a very good investment. Oh yeah. Uh, you'd want to you want to be a little bit DIY proficient. Now yes. I'm not the best at it, yeah. and I I, I I I would put the sweat out to me to to refit it again. But it's well worth it, and yeah. get someone in to do it, and you have your own filtered water every day. Yeah. Uh, when you're leaving the house and it's, it makes a massive yeah, difference. And, and, and basically it's three filters, isn't it? And it's sort of the water... You, you, uh, you there's put, three underneath and then yeah. there's two others. There's five altogether. God. <laughs> five altogether, yeah. yeah you're yeah, not yeah, taking yeah. any so chances. <laughs> no, no. But like, again, it's the water. When you, if you put a, if you pour a tap water into a cup and leave it yeah. overnight by your bedside, yeah. uh, when it, that's not filtered, you'll see kind yeah. of a little, like it's filament on the surface yeah. and then, or it might smell of chlorine, yeah. fluoride. Uh, whereas with this system, you could leave it there for two or three yeah. days. It's still perfect to drink and there's no issues because all the bacteria and contaminants are removed, yeah. you know? I know. And Patrick, so, like, what I'm thinking about is the people who don't, who don't, first of all, don't filter our water and, and also don't know to filter our water because you kind of absolutely. assume if you're living in a city, if you're living in Cork and you, you can drink the water out of your tap, we always think, you know, yeah. the old joke years ago, if you go to Spain, you know, don't drink the water and all that kind of stuff. We yeah. always we yeah, assume yeah, yeah. here, especially since we're underwater half of the year, that you know it's we're going to have water shouldn't be a problem but we've had so many people talk to us and it's not just where you are it's like Gron yeah. it's it, we're my own area I'm off near Barrick Street it's been terrible over yeah. there and now I've gotten into the habit of when I pour myself a glass of water I hold it up to the light and I have a look and see if, I, if I can drink but it you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to do that you know no. what I mean it's just a you're, you're paying, you're paying for the service and, um, and we should be notified of some, yeah. some sort of change around this. And it's grand for people who are, who are aware, as I said, but mm. the, the poor people who aren't and they're just blindly ingesting it every day. Um, yeah, yeah it needs to be, yeah, we talked, you know, it needs to be addressed. We you know? talked to people yesterday and people are getting, they're getting stomach cramps. They're getting sick. And, and, and then, uh, you know, the yeah. really maddening thing is people may be getting sick and not know why they're kind of wondering, well, boy, mm. you know, but if you're drinking this water, it's it's not good for you and if you're cooking yeah. with it even if you're bathing in it and you're saying you're talking about giving the kids a bath you don't want to be kids a bath, yeah, in yeah. muddy water you know it's it's crazy no, yeah. no. well Patrick Absolutely. would you with your experience and I know they're a bit they're like 400 euros I think I looked it up for, for a, a reverse osmosis pump and it's yeah. an investment and you probably have to pay somebody to plumb it in because it is a bit of a faff to plumb for it in for the vast majority of people yeah, yeah there's a bit of DIY involved yeah, yeah but yeah. I would definitely strongly advise yeah. because you know it's, it's and it, there's a storage tank so you'll have 10, 10 litres of it there under the sink yeah. you do need to have a bit of space for yeah, it as well so depending thing. on yeah. the size of the press under the sink and so yeah. on but it's an, a well worth investment yeah. and you won't need to buy a bottle of water outside anymore because yeah. you just use use your own glass well, bottles or I whatever you want. I suppose in a year, in a year, you'll make it back, won't you? Because you're not buying bottled in, water all the time. Multiple times over, yeah, yeah. multiple times okay. over. You know, it's it's a no brainer, really. You know what I mean? And if you if you just look it up and do a little bit of your own research and you make yeah. your own informed decision, it's it's just a no brainer to okay. be honest. So. Patrick, that's great, and thanks very much for talking to us this morning. No problem, pleasure. Have a good one. Enjoy the jazz. You too. Oh, you too. Yeah, enjoy the jazz. Yeah. Um, we've got we're going to keep a stay with this now because we've got uh, Councillor Oliver Moore in, and people know him. He's Green Councillor of the North East Ward, and this is something he's been across a lot. I know from seeing him on social media and I know from talking to myself and uh, Oliver Moore, good, good morning to you for starters. Hi, good morning. Yeah, You've been talking to Irish Water about this, have you? 
I was, yeah. There was, so there was a clinic yesterday, um, and obviously this this was something that that was in in the air uh, in the neighbourhood. Just to, to be, be uh, I suppose, put it out there first. I'm actually just living around the corner from, from Patrick, so I, I've been personally experience, experiencing the same thing. Yeah. Um, where we've only had one or two instances where we've seen you know discoloured water coming out of the tap, but where we've seen it most is just like that when we'd fill a bath, um, and it would be exactly the the, the colour that Patrick described, um, and just like that, uh, you know, it, we, when we'd only see it at that time, it would be a, a natural worry for us. That's you know, what have we been drinking from the tap uh, without knowing it? So there was a clinic yesterday uh, with Irish water. Uh, now I had a couple of issues, and I'm, I'm, I'm not here to, to make apologies for Irish water by any means, uh, but I'm, I'm happy to relay what they said to me because, to their credit, at least yesterday uh, in that in that meeting, they were able to explain to me in relatively clear terms what the issue is, where it comes from, how they address it, and that kind of thing. Um, So the fundamental issue uh, is uh, cast iron pipes. And about two-thirds of the the mains pipes in Cork City are cast iron pipes. Um, And over time, naturally, they rust on the inside to gather another element. So it's mainly iron and uh, um, another trace element called called manganese. Um, And that this can, in certain circumstances, then... It usually just rests at the bottom of the, of the pipe, uh, but in cer- certain circumstances, it can be stirred up, picked yeah. up by the water, and then comes out. Yeah, um, just, there are issues. We have a, yeah. a largely a Victorian water system in the city, and we have, in some ways, a lot of our, our infrastructure is Victorian, and they built well and they built to last. But that's you know, it's a hundred years or more old. Did you get a sense of urgency from Irish Water at all so- about this? So the way that the way that they go about addressing it is, uh, and this is what they're doing in the in the I suppose in the in the Mayfield Montanati uh, area, is that they 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 in order to address it, they go about it in a uh, a planned out way where they they at, at each kind of segment along the the, the route of of the the mains, uh, they flush out. A certain a certain segment, basically just gush water into it in order to push it further down. Now, as it was said to me then yesterday, uh, well, not great news for for people when this when this is happening, yeah. because in a way it it needs to get worse before it can get better, because that flushing uh, stirs up more of the sediment. Uh, so during the the period that is being flushed, uh, this this issue of being, it being discoloured can actually get worse. But the, the end goal is that it would get better. Now, I am also, I would share Patrick's view um, that, look, their communication hasn't been, been, been sterling. No. Uh, that was, that was you know, among the other issues I had with them yesterday too, in, in other regards. So unless you're paying attention to the Irish Water website, you won't know that it's happening. And unless you even understand what it even means, you won't yeah. know how it affects you. Um, and I, I, I think it would have been worthwhile doing a leaflet drop in the areas affected saying, look, this is happening, this is what it is, it's going to be like this for a couple of weeks um, and at the end of it, it will get better. So they started this process on the 18th. They were initially hoping to do it for a two-week period, so it would be ending kind of next week. Uh, what they found is there's more sediment there than they than they would have expected. It's taken longer than they would have expected. So it's, it's about another week on top of that, they were saying yesterday. Yeah. I, I live over in uh, the Barracksy Friars. So I, I know I've said this a lot recently, but we're talking about water and we're talking about issues, and we've had them over there. Uh, yeah. And they did, in fairness to Irish Water, they did do some flushing recently, and they did put up a few signs around the area saying something along the lines of, you know, we will be flushing Maine 
proteins in the air. There may be uh, sediment or particulates or whatever they call it in yeah. in your water. But but really, Irish water has to do a much better job. For starters, has to do a much better job in letting people know because what's what 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 what's really um, annoying to me is you never know when it's going to happen. So you always have to check the water, you know. And you you you, you come home, you have a glass, you turn on top of glass of water, and you have to hold it up to the light every single time. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but it's it's that sense of like it's it does seem to be getting better because when I I've I'm a I'm kind of life one of life's natural sort of like I'm going to complain about this. So and people can and they can go on to water.ie, which is the uh, Ishgair and formerly Irish Water site, and they will get a number that you can call if you've got got bad water in your area. And I would encourage everybody in Cork City to do that because the first person the first time I called up and myself and my neighbours have been talking about this for ages. The, what I was told was, oh, we haven't had anybody from your area talk about that at all and yeah. maybe they hadn't but I suppose it, it, the message there being if you don't raise the issue you, you can't really complain about nobody doing anything about it yeah. now I, I would also say that they they, they, sh- they should be more proactive in this yeah. because uh, what they described as being uh, you know the root causes of this is things that they can predict um, like the kind of things that they that they said would cause this issue to happen is when they're doing works on the mains further up the line um, and either the works themselves stirs up sediment or they, they, they might add a new, a, new, a new section to the mains water pipe and then you, you learn something every day, that's what I learned yesterday, the water will start flowing differently within uh, the mains mm. um, and then because of that the, the sediment you know, has to go and rest in, the, in a different place in, in the mains and it all starts stirring it up. So they, they've been doing these works, they've been doing a lot of works uh, in Belly of Land, they were doing a lot of works in, in um, on the North Ring Road, so it's yeah. quite predictable to them that this issue would happen. Uh, so I, I, I think that their proactive communication and not waiting for people to get in touch should really have been there to, to yeah, begin with. But Oliver, like we hear from Patrick there, who's installed a reverse os- osmosis pump, which is a fairly high tech bit of kit, and it's going to guarantee you great water. But that's four hundred euros at least, and then pay somebody to plumb it in for you. And you also need the space to have it as well. Like if you're a pensioner, for instance. You're not going to be, you know, you don't have 500 euros to spend on a reverse osmosis pump and be changing the filters all the time. Is there any, do we have any idea when is this going to end? When are we, when, when are we going to be in a situation where it's not going to be a constant issue from Ballincollig to Gronerbraher to Mayfield to, to, you know, to Friars Walk to all over the city? So, uh, f- just to preface this again, I, I'm not here to apologise for know, water, but 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 they did have they did have some practical advice yesterday. Yeah. Um, now it mightn't go down well when you hear it, but uh, you you have to agree that it is practical advice. Yeah. So what they said was during this period, um, it's not consistent that it will be running uh, discoloured all the time. So if you are affected, one of the most practical things you can do is during the period that it is running clear is to fill a jug or two and put it in the fridge. Yeah. Uh, and then at least you have water for, for the, the time when it will um, um, run discoloured. How long it's going to take? Look, they're doing this flushing in the Mayfield Montanati area uh, and they, they did expect it to take two weeks. It, now they're saying it'll yeah. take a, a week longer. So I'd say the week after next. Again, they were saying we're, you know, that they would post a, a notice of this, but I know it's only going to be on their website. So look... If anyone's listening, please tell your neighbours. It's it's another week of this. Yeah. As I said, it, it it'll get worse before it gets better. Yeah, Hopefully, is, after that, it'll, it'll clear out. But no matter what, 
there's there's a lot of works going on in particularly the north side, and um, in you know it it it's for good reasons. It's yeah. improving the network. It's 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 putting more capacity in there so that there can be housing development in the Bellevue area, in which we need desperately. Which we need, yeah. but it, it, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked them, look, what about replacing the the um, the cast iron pipes? It's a huge task. They they, they showed me. You know, down at Turner's Cross, where, where they've done a small number, how long it took them. They're going to be yeah. doing some more up up in Dublin Hill. I think this is just a nature of the court network, yeah. and really, it's, it's something that Irish Water just need to communicate with people more about, um, and maybe. Okay. It's something we, we we have to take. In, in, yeah, in well. in the meantime, I mean, we're not living in the middle of the Sahara Desert, but unfortunately, we're we're just going to have to be careful. If you're in the parts of the city that have problems with this, and it seems to be a lot of parts, we're just going to have to be careful and be careful with your water. Check it before you drink it, because people are getting sick, and it is an issue. Green Councillor Oliver Moran, uh, thanks for actually talking to us this morning uh, and Hello. for uh, for relaying that information from Irish Water. It's Joe Shea sitting in for PJ. Now, before the news, we were talking about this shocking and it goes on and it never seems to end but the fact that people are still throwing life boys from our keys into the river vandalising a vital piece of life saving equipment uh, Frank good morning to you Morning Joe yeah. how are things? Good good what did you want to say about this Frank? Well I I, I mean this has been going on for a long long time and not just the life rings I think that the defibrillators are being replaced on a bi monthly because of Idiots damaging them. I think anybody caught it should be um, attempted murder. Right. And an automatic starting point of five years. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a point, and I can understand why you would say it. Uh, but I suppose the, the the counter argument to that would be, you know, jail time is serious, and putting somebody in jail for five years for messing, even though people are rightfully really angry about this, it, it, five years might seem like a lot of time for for what some people would call vandalism. Well, five years in jail is a hell of a lot shorter time than a lifetime in a coffin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean. I'd be quite honest, Joe, and no, I don't know, and I, I don't want to be pointing the finger at any particular group, but I'd say if they, if they delved into the figures, I'd say you'd probably see a lot more on Tuesday and Thursday nights and on certain week, weeks of the year, um, the same as the same times that wheelie bins are being kicked all over the place. It's, it is hijinks, but it's hijinks that has a huge element to danger. Yeah, and I suppose it goes to a wider, a wider issue as well because we know, like, we know that the the Gardaí in Cork are are under resourced. The force is is you know they don't have enough bodies. They don't. So have we got we got one out yeah. of the latest intake. I, I mean that is absolutely yeah. disgraceful. Yeah. And and it's a shock to me because I live in the city centre and I see anti-social behaviour and I see it all the time and I walk up and down uh, Oliver Plunkett Street, right, in the daytime and you'll see people on Oliver Plunkett Street in the daytime who are aggressively begging, shall we oh, say. Their yeah, and it, I call it polite mugging, to be honest with you. It's it's one step when somebody lurches up to you and goes, give me money. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a thin line between, you know, begging and kind of like menacing somebody. We don't, we don't seem to have, it's, it's, it's something I can't figure out why we can't. I know the Gardaí are under resource. It's easy to say it's the Gardaí's fault. They should be. It's not but, the Gardaí's fault. It's Absolutely not, but there's not. not enough of them. There are not enough Gardaí in I mean, Park you, City. you walk, you walk town or else we just call it in the old days, Dupena. Yeah. And you'll be hard pressed to see two. Yeah. 
you know, and that would be on a good day. I mean, Oliver Plunkett Street has, has, and I think you're right, it's kind of becoming a no-go area, day or night. I, I wouldn't say no go because it's like, not far off. Yeah, but, but the, the, here's the thing about Oliver Plunkett Street, and I walk around the corner from it. Right, there's great new uh, developments going on over uh, on Oliver Plunkett, and the, the old the, the bookstore there on the corner uh, is Liam getting, Russell's. Yeah, Liam Russell's is getting a huge, big development, and I, I love seeing re- investment going in there. But I just, I yeah, but people what, say it to be what's going to be takeaway fast no, food? No, it's going to be a health, it's going to be a health food shop. It's going to be a health food shop run by a Cork business, a Cork family business as far as I know, which is great to see as well. Well, that's good, yeah. yeah. But what what people say to me, I was in town on Saturday and I'm with my, you know, my kids and whatever, and it just felt, you know, it didn't feel dangerous, but it felt unpleasant because there are people around on the streets all of the time who, you know, have problems, obviously, in their lives, addiction problems, mental health problems, but it, it just feels sometimes that, that, that there, there there isn't a control, so to speak, there. There's no control, but there's also no help. Yeah. Yeah. It, it it's a mixture of both. Yeah. But I mean, getting back to the the life ra- or the life ring. Yeah. I thought it was a brilliant idea that was mentioned there about putting some sort of an alarm on yeah. it. It yeah. might frighten it. I tell you what it else, is. yeah, it might probably, you know what else we could do? Cameras are very, very cheap these days. Put a little pencil camera above it and get a picture of somebody taking it and put that picture on social media. Because it's GDPR. Yeah, well, I have a feeling it's people who maybe, I have a feeling it's people who you wouldn't normally associate with antisocial behaviour, but are Absolutely. just getting drunk and are just acting com- like complete morons, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, you know, back in the 80s, for us, it was kind of taken, you know, the, the traffic horns. Yeah, yeah. I'd say there was houses all over Cork had traffic horns. Yeah. I didn't know what they, want, they had them for. Yeah, right? t- taking a traffic horn is going up, as you know, it's not going to be it's put somebody's cause. life in danger. Exactly. You know? Okay. That's, well, what, that's what the difference is. Okay. Well, Frank, listen, good to talk to you and thanks you for too, coming. You too, Joe. Take care. Thank you. In the meantime, we're going to talk about, yeah, actually, this is something that I spotted in the news this morning, uh, and I think this is going to be interest, of interest to a lot of people. The uh, we, we hear about influencers all the time, right? You know, social media influencers and all that kind of stuff. Well, the Consumer Protection Commission of Ireland and the uh, Ad- Advertising Standards Authority of Ireland are actually going to... Uh, come in with new regulations on social media influencers and are going to force them to be transparent about their advertising. And I think this is something that's been kind of like needed for quite a while because a lot of the stuff now you see on social media is so-called influencers who are pushing products that are, you know, in advertising. And they they make little videos, put them on Instagram, put them on Twitter, put them on social media and say, oh, I just tried this and it's magnificent and it's wonderful and I tried that and it's great. And here's the thing. They're not showing or very, they're not really making it very clear that they're advertising, uh, products and they're being paid to advertise products. So you have to be careful when you see some, something like that on social media. So it's good to see that the Advertising Standards Authority of Ireland are finally, finally getting, uh, get, getting to grips with this. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Cork Simon. Anne wants to give everyone the home that Cork gave her. She's leaving a gift in her will to Cork Simon. Find out more at CorkSimon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Oh. 
Powers to Protect. Brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ourstoprotect.ie for more info. This week on Ours to Protect, we learn some tricks and treats for an eco-friendly Halloween. When we think about Halloween, ethical and sustainable practice doesn't exactly spring to mind, but the amount of waste that a single holiday can generate is frightening. Environmental group Hubbub conducted a study into Halloween waste, and they found that 83% of Halloween costumes use non-recyclable oil-based plastics, which meant they were destined to end up in landfill. San is the Senior Digital Marketing and Communications Manager with Planet, an Irish event marketing agency. I think the best thing to start off with is the costume swap. You know, we, we do tend to go uh, over and beyond to get the perfect costume, but I think the most sustainable way is to check with friends and have swap the costume so you know you have the fresh look for the year and so forth. But also the DIY costumes can be very funky and it also sets you apart and it can be more sustainable with the materials that you use given, you know, with all the things that's happening in the world, we need to be eco-conscious with the costumes. A DIY costume doesn't have to mean that you have to be good at sewing, does it? Exactly. Yes, exactly. It can be. See, that's the best part of Halloween. It can be quirky, so it doesn't have to be perfection in terms of your sewing skills or getting the right fit and so forth. So you can be creative about it and use the recyclable materials to make it something fun and exciting. I think that makes, that, that makes Halloween more fun, to be honest. If you're a conscious consumer who feels guilty about the waste typically involved in Halloween, don't worry. Spooky season can still be your favourite with a few eco-friendly adjustments, starting with the highlight for many children, the sweets. There are a couple of houses who eco-consciously do provide fruits and instead of treats for the kids. And also with regards to the products or the brands that you use for the trick-or-treating, we always tend to overbuy them. But instead, you could, in, you could ensure that you have, you know what exactly the quantity you need and have ensure that you don't overbuy the sweets in terms of it. And there are a few people who actually do the homemade sweets as well as a treat for healthy people. So I have seen Halloween packages packed with home uh, cooked uh, cookies and stuff, which are more healthy as well. I think it, it, it benefits the kids as well, especially for me as a parent when the kid comes back with a home cooked treat and uh, you know, which are, which also comes with a disclaimer saying it doesn't have any nuts, so the, you know the kids can be nut allergic or so forth. I think that's the best way to do it. True, and even if it's a branch or what, you know, I would say that you need to go an extra mile to support your local bakers and so forth. You know, rather than going for well-known brands of treats which are you know, which are overpriced and hyped about, but instead, if you see your local bakers, you can support them by buying their Halloween treats, which are more healthy, I'm sure, compared to the packaged sweets that are that is used for. When it comes to decorations, the first thing people think of for Halloween is a pumpkin. But what happens to pumpkins come November? A report by Nora showed 60% of people who bought pumpkins to carve out reported they do not use the pumpkin after carving and instead throw it out. But did you know there are many ways you can recycle and reuse your pumpkin after spooky season? Searching for pumpkin recipes online is one of the many simple ways to help. But what about the other spooky decorations? You know, with all the plastic materials that are coming across and people generally use it as a one time. I think that's what we need to stop and be conscious about in terms of the the consumptions. So... 
definitely one is to use a sustainable, sustainably sourced materials for the Halloween decorations and avoid all the plastic that is going to end up in the waste bin. But also the recycling of them is highly important. But if you use materials which are eco-sustainable and even, as I said, similar to costumes, if you can make it as a DIY, help, uh, you know, involve the kids as well, it can be more fun than buying the one-time usage plastic Halloween um, you know, decorations that come along. And that includes even the pumpkin. So uh, tie it along with your local pumpkin, you know, local farm market. So you can use this, uh, you, you can use those pumpkins. And more important is post-Halloween, ensure that the waste disposal is uh, is packaged into in terms of, okay, this is the green, it goes into the green bin, it is something as a food consumable that is considered as a food waste. So there are, these are the few tips that are definitely going to help you make a Halloween a sustainable celebration. So how can you throw an eco-friendly Halloween party? The amount, the moment you say party, it's always about over-planning for the people. And then in terms of the, the sweets or beat in terms of the decorations, I think it all comes together to make a party a very successful one. Especially when we work at Planet, I think we also look at our partners who are sustainable. So even if you are uh, working with third parties for your catering or beat in terms of your party decorations, I would say go to an extent to find out if they are sustainable enough. Like, for example, we use all our vendors who are who ensure sure that even the decorations of the lights are LED or solar, importantly, if you're using it for a larger uh, venue, because it, it just makes it more sustainable and eco-friendly compared to the regular decorations that you've been using in, 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 the, uh, in the previous run. And also in terms of the vehicles, the vendors that we use, they always use electric vehicles, so you know that you're, not, you're contributing to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're, you're curbing the carbonization as well. So you, ensuring you have the right partners to throw a party is also equally important and it's not the miniature of the tips that we just discussed. To learn more about an eco-friendly Halloween, visit planet.ie or visit the show notes of this episode. Hours to Protect, brought to you by Cork's 96FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, it's Joe Shea here. Now, before the break, there we kind of we cue this up, but we're we're going to talk to a man now who's going to uh, tell us about about our seas and our coast, and he's somebody who has a kind of a unique perspective on this. So, good morning, Ken O'Sullivan. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing this morning? Great, you know. Great. Good. Ken, you have a kind of you have the kind of job that a lot of people would consider to be a dream job. Can you tell us what is it that you do? Well, as I always say, it's way better than having a real job, Joe. But um, I'm, a, I'm an underwater cameraman um, and uh, documentary filmmaker. So I explore the underwater world uh, almost exclusively around Ireland, where I come from, and uh, try to tell stories from there. So anything from you know, small creatures in the shore to uh, sharks, dolphins, whales, and you know, I suppose most exclusively on the Atlantic coast, so yeah. from you know Donegal, 
Clare, Cork, Kerry, around to Waterford, Wexford. Yeah. And you're based in La Hinch, yeah? That's right, yeah. Right. And are you from there originally? Uh, I'm from Clare originally. Right. Um, lived in La Hinch for 20 years, but uh, my family, my father's side of the family, came from a place called Phoenix Island, which is a small island on the north side of Trilly Bay in County Kerry, so oh. very strong connections to there. Yeah. So, like, can, <coughs> one of the things that's interesting to me is people often, how do you get started in something like that? I mean, do you kind of go wake up one morning when you're like 14 years of age and go, do you know what? I'm going to be an underwater cameraman. <laughs> how do you fall into it? How do you get started in that business? Well, you know, it's a real conversation killer. If you meet fellas you went to school with, you know, and you say, what are you doing these days? I'm an accountant or a plumber. And, yeah. you know, what about yourself? I say, I'm an underwater cameraman. And they go, jeez, is, is that a real job? <laughs> uh, my, uh, my ancestry, as I said, was, was my people were small farmers and fishermen of Phoenix Island. And I spent my summers there with my father, kind of fishing the old school methods and just getting a real love of the shore and the coast and the seasons. And when I learned to dive many years later in Australia, um, it was just a kind of a profound experience for me because I was the first of my family that kind of dropped between that membrane of air down into the sea and, and the sea sustained our family for generations that yeah. brought us through the famine. Um, and I just saw this beautiful underwater world. It's three-dimensional world. It's like flying. And uh, I pretty much straight away thought, you know what, I, I really want to, to film this and, and, and make a documentary and uh, said to myself, sure, that can't be too hard. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're a natural history documentary filmmaker and people, it's, it, it's, there's a huge interest in this these days because one of the very great things about, the, the, for instance, the series being made in the BBC, but also by the likes of RT as well, is that they've kind of lifted the veil on how these shows are made or how these how this footage is got. And I find that fascinating, especially at the end of the David Attenborough type shows where they go, no, we'll, we'll, we'll have a little segment where the cameraman who got this amazing footage will show you how, we, how he did it. And it's a very involved process, but how difficult is it to do for you to operate, to do something that's difficult in the first place, which is, you know, make documentary or shoot documentary footage and then do it underwater? How involved is it? Ah, uh, look, it's pretty tough, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, obviously, I'd see on. Look, every underwater cameraman I know, the first thing they do is they go south to the tropics, the yeah. subtropics, because you have lovely clear water and light and colourful creatures. In Ireland, we don't have that. We have that some of the time, but we have a very unique aesthetic. And anybody who's ever put on a mask or goggles, you know, it's green water. But it's full of life, and it's very difficult. We're waiting for weather continually. I'm watching charts all the time. But, you know, when you get the conditions when they're right, you know, the diving in Ireland, the underwater world, is, it's world-class. It's as good as any place in the world. Now, you can't expect that every day, no more so than you'd go to West Cork or Wicklow Mountains or wherever, you know, any day, you'd watch the weather. Um, but the diversity and the volume of life that we have is incredible. I mean, we have um, 40 species of sharks in Ireland. Yeah. We have, I think, uh, 25 or so um, species of different of cetaceans, of whales and dolphins. We've got blue whales, the largest animal ever to live or in our waters. Um, you know, we've done huge amounts of filming off West, West Cork. We've got fin whales, second largest animal ever to live, humpback whales, minke whales. So it's a very, very rich ecosystem that we have here. And in terms of filming, it's very difficult, particularly underwater. But, you know, when you get those shots... Yeah. Um, it makes it all worthwhile. But look, I love going to sea anyway. And, you know, we've a small, hardy crew and, and, and we just love being out there. Right. Hey, it's interesting you mentioned West Cork because one thing that's really struck me recently is how 
people are kind of finally waking up to what is actually just off our coast because whale watching has become this huge, huge industry in West Cork. But for years, it's sort of like these massive, magnificent animals were a stone's throw almost off our coast and people didn't know about it or didn't see them or it just wasn't there. Um, With whale watching, is there any concerns about what impact that might be having on whale populations or are they responsible in the main, the people who do these kind of things? Well, um, to come back to your original point, broadly, yeah. absolutely, we have these, these these creatures that are right off our shore. And I mean, I find it odd that I would have met Irish people down the years and said, oh, you know, oh, yeah, I went to New Zealand or South Africa whale watching. Yeah. You know, you could have gone to West Cork or Kerry. Or this summer, there's been um, resident whales in Donegal Bay. Uh, e- 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 ecotourism, and particularly whale watching, is a huge opportunity for coastal communities, you know, where, where fishing is in decline. Mm. And in a lot of cases, you'll have former fishermen who have the knowledge, the skills, and the vessels to bring people out. And, it's, you know, it's a very, it's a great way, opportunity for them to make a living. To do it responsibly takes skills. It's not something you don't just go out in a boat. Yeah. Um, you've got to respect these animals. They come here to feed um, and keep your boat far away from it. Now, there's lots of guidelines on how to do that. I mean, I most certainly have seen people doing the wrong thing and repeatedly. I suppose I'd like to believe that if, if people knew how to behave properly, that they would. Um, so it is a challenge in whale watching around the world. and We sadly don't have a huge amount of monitoring from the authorities because you know, the resources simply aren't there in parks and wildlife. But hopefully that will change. But um, uh, there are guidelines there if people take the trouble to look it up. But just be sensitive. Keep your distance, you know. Uh, research again and again shows that whale watchers, if they get two or three glimpses of whales, they're happy with that. They don't need to get, you know, in on top and over yeah. the whale. Yeah. And I know the, 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 the main operators in West Cork, because I've talked to them quite a lot, they, they are they are responsible and they are mostly guys who have worked in, in on the sea as fishermen uh, in the area for, for many, many years and they know the area. So they're not just guys buying big boats and driving out to see if there's any whales around or anything like that. But can, can tell me about, I'm looking at a picture of you now and it's an amazing picture of you with, in the water with a camera with your, your flippers on. I think you're snorkeling and there's you've got a camera and there's a big shark. Is that a blue shark maybe that's like <laughs> right up into your camera almost as if he's saying cheese uh, is it would you, yeah. what are those moments like when you see a, like a big shark in the water like that that close oh I sure it's a privilege Joe. Yeah. I mean it's absolutely blessed and yeah. you know when, when I close my eyes at night and uh, after a day like that you just see this wonderful scene it's a blue shark about um, probably 20, 20 miles southwest of Court McSharry we, we base ourselves there a lot um, it's incredible incredible to see these animals and you know sharks have uh, become a kind of a passion of mine because um, they're hugely misunderstood creatures I, I can find no credible record of a shark attacking anybody in the water in Ireland mm. or anywhere close by and yet humans are killing it, it, it's a range the latest figure up to 270 million sharks every year yeah it's it's crazy and then what's happening yeah and then tell us Ken as well because this I know these are subjects and, and you, it's not just about the filming and I know that you're interested in, in the in the wider picture about our oceans about what's going on tell us about what's going to be happening in the, in the Everyman Theatre in Cork well, really excited to do a, a live show. It's been kind of a dream for a few years. So um, uh, I'm doing a two-stage tour now. So this is the end of it. The, the Everyman will be the last night of this stage. And um, I, I basically play videos and uh, tell the story behind, you know, from the swimming with blue whales and fin whales and sharks and how we got the shots. But why I'm doing this, it's not about my own 
gratification. It's all for education and awareness. And yeah. in 2018, I donated all of my work to the Department of Education, and it's now on the Junior Cycle um, Geography and That's Business great. Studies. So we talk about these stories and try to kind of get people to understand. And you know, I was in Hawkesville and Sligo last night, a full house, thankfully again. But like the people are questioning afterwards, they're coming to tell you, say, "Oh, I never knew we had this. Yeah. You know, we never knew we had." these creatures or this richness or diversity of life so that's really wonderful to hear and you'll be showing footage and, and, and talking about how you got it and talking about what's there and again you're not and you said it earlier you're not somebody who's flying off to Barbados to, to you know to go into tropical waters or anything like that you're you are operating in waters that we can see from Cork we could I could drive to from Cork City in 45 minutes I could be where, where where you're shooting and and it, and it is amazing down there and it's no, November the 1st you're in the Everyman Theatre in Cork is is this uh, a kind of an all ages thing because I know like there's lots of, of young people who are really really into this now at the moment is it an all ages kind of type, type oh absolutely show? it's a huge thing for families we do a special yeah. rate for under 16 and families right. and I'd say you know a third to half of the audience have been younger people and you know what they're the ones asking all the questions yeah. and they're the ones who get it you don't have to tell them twice they no. just, it's people my generation that you have to try to convince yeah my but, seven uh, my seven year old daughter went to school this morning uh, for fancy dress and for her fancy dress and I'm not joking she dressed up as Greta Thun, Thunberg the, the Swedish ah, the Swedish <laughs> and she has the sign made up in Swedish school strike for the climate and so and, she, and listen I, I wish I could claim that it was all do, down to me being a great father and, and educating about the climate but she's gone out she's seven years she saw a book in the library about Greta Thunberg and she's now become fascinated by by the environment, by by you know the ecosystems, by the fight to save the planet. And I think it's kids really are the ones who are really fascinated about this kind of stuff, aren't they? They are, absolutely. And they, they absolutely get it. And coming back to what you said there about you know, all this life being so close to where you are, that's you know what I'm really happy about with our stuff is on the curriculum is that kids are seeing humpback whales off Clare, off Cork, off yeah. Kerry, and they can that resonates, it relates to them and suddenly you connect because it's very hard to visualise what's underwater. And look, yeah. I've, I've had fishermen coming up to me after our first series in TGCAR crying because they're yeah. saying, I, I never knew, I never knew what, what was, was down on, there. What was and, down there, and, yeah. And dra- dragging these um, big steel um, gates and a net across the bottom of the seafloor yeah. and trawling everything up and suddenly, you know, they're able to visualise yeah. what it is. So, okay. Yeah. Ken, it's the show is called Into the Deep. It's Everyman Theatre on November first. Uh, thanks very much for talking to us this morning. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over thirty-five years. They're all ears. Visit HiddenHearing.ie. Cork's ninety-six FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Mind with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. It's Joe Shea sitting in for PJ and looking out over the city from our perch up here on Patrick's Hill. The sun is shining. It's a lovely, lovely start to the weekend. Of course, the big weekend, the jazz weekend in Cork there's going to be showers make sure to bring an umbrella make sure to bring a jacket with you but it's looking lovely at the moment now what else is happening this weekend of course is Halloween and this is something I don't know about you but does it seem to get bigger and bigger every year because it didn't seem to have all of this kind of American style stuff around it um, but
but it has become bigger and bigger and there are people who, and it might be might be you do you deck the house out in spooky lanterns do you have all of the kind of the gear all the stuff or do you just kind of hide in the back room with the lights out and hope that nobody knocks on the door and demands uh, candy off you um people there are big halloween fans out there and we've managed to track down one uh, good morning mia hey how are you i'm good mia are you a, are you a sewing are you a halloween fan Yes, that, that put, putting it lightly, we'll, put, we'll say that. Right. Um, so <laughs> you were talking about like the American kind of stuff, but I really want to talk about sewing. So thanks for like having me on because I'm going to maybe right. talk to you. Yeah, th- this it, is so. important. This is important. An important distinction now because we have the kind of the American style Halloween, right? Which everybody knows about. We get kind of like every year, and it's getting bigger and bigger, more Americanized every year, but. Is it true to say, because I've heard differing opinions, is it true to say that that Halloween really is a Gaelic, a Celtic tradition? For sure. So the the word Halloween now wouldn't be, but it's, we would talk about more the term Samhain. So all the traditions around that have come from the kind of more Irish pagan stuff and Celtic kind of origins. So it like basically is to mark the end of the harvest and bring us into like the darker half of the year and things like that. But then all the traditions that we know now have come from more like kind of Irish pagan traditions, um, which obviously are not American and you can't exactly buy them in home sense. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I remember. I remember older people and kind of like my not maybe not my parents' generation, but my grandparents' generation, and especially kind of like with we've connections in West Cork as well. And uh, people didn't regard Halloween as a fun time of year. Um, they regarded it as a time when that kind of the veil between the kind of the world, the living, and the world of the dead had kind of part maybe parted a bit people thought about it as a time to remember kind of like people who had died or you know people who had gone before them there was a sense around it that it also that I remember this well you didn't want to mess with the ghosts or you didn't want to mess with the spirits or you had to be kind of respectful around this time is that a part of so and is there more of a reverence really for uh, rather than a kind of a fun let's have a laugh about uh, ghosts and goblins and all that kind of stuff so the traditions that we have now mm. have all come from that like respectful kind of time. I know a lot of Irish families would go visiting on like the 1st of November because someone goes through like the evening of the 31st into the 1st of November. Um, so all those kind of like traditions that we have, like dressing up, trick-or-treating, pumpkins, all that is all to... Um, I guess appease like spirits or like mm. ward off spirits because I don't know it's kind of becoming more known now that the pumpkin tradition used to come from like uh, turnips originally yes which if you google it that's terrifying stuff that yeah. looks like a mummified like decapitated situation and that's going to ward off anything so um, that's with, where that tradition came from <laughs> with your own personal interest how did that come about and how deep have you gone into it so I, it, that's a, it's a tough question to ask or to answer. So it's kind of like, um, I don't know, I studied um, religions in college and I studied like philosophy and things like that. And you kind of like, firstly, they went into the depths of like the background of Samhain, for example, in Western esotericism, which is like the long explanation for the occult um but basically that sparked my interest and I was like oh this actually makes a lot of sense 
And it's about like kind of um, honoring the seasonal changes and things like that. And if you like become more in tune with it, like for myself now, that's what I do like around this kind of time. It's getting out all the different types of herbs. And for me in particular, it's a lot about like crystals and a lot of rocks, a lot of plants, a lot of kind of herbs that will come about this time of year that are very protective. And also because now I heard you're having tech issues this morning. That's because it's a full moon. Oh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it probably so, is, yeah. I mean, so just in case you're wondering, yeah. it's not you guys, it's literally no, it's, the moon. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's a full moon. It's a full moon at Halloween weekend. And I mean, you know, again, there's the fun part of Halloween, but I I, I knew a guy not so long ago who used to go to graveyards, country graveyards around this time, you know, for Halloween and, and all souls because it was sort of like getting close to, getting close to that kind of, that the other world out there there i mean how i'm gonna ask you straight do you believe in the spirit world do you believe in ghosts oh totally but i don't think like they're like i think this is the best time to kind of explore it if you're ever curious but like definitely there's something going on and definitely at this time of the year when there's a full moon and as you mentioned the veil thins and everything like that there's going to be there's going to be things you know it's kind of like that gut feeling the sense of like oh is there some other kind of energy Mm. here I'm not thinking that ghosts are like coming into our houses and messing up our homes and things like that. But I think that you just get a sense of like a different energy and you're like, oh, I don't think I'm really by myself right now. So it's that kind of a there, there that are, kind of a thing. There are some parts of Cork City that you do get that sense, and I, I'm I'm not sure if I believe in ghosts, but I do believe in, in that sense of like stones, for instance, have a memory almost, like because the Cork City Jail, you know, the old jail up in, in Sunday as well. Yeah, I was going to say that's yeah. one of the spaces that you feel it completely. Yeah. You walk so. past that place, and I know actually there's there's kind of there's a spooky cinema on there there this, this weekend, but if you walk past the jail. Uh, around this time of year there is a weird energy and there's a very weird kind of sense in the air almost like a crackling in the air and it does feel like there's something going on and you get that in other kind of ancient parts old, very older parts of Cork and I do know down around the Red Abbey uh, which is off Douglas Street where, you know, where I'm from originally there, 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 you do get a sense of that do you feel that yourself when you're walking around the city at this time of year especially on a full moon Halloween so- weekend? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you're just kind of, I can ask questions about buildings that I walk into and I'm like, what has happened in here? And what's like, I remember I was in a building before and I would walk in and I'm very, very susceptible to energies and things like that. And I walked in and I said, it was actually somewhere out in UCC. And I was like, lads, there's a really weird, like, it really feels like death in here. I don't, I was like, is someone in a bad mood? And they were like, oh, Mia, this used to be like the medical department and this is where they kept all of the bodies. So I was like, oh, that makes much more sense. OK, never mind my my problem. Yeah, there was <laughs> but, a, and as well, the UCC is partly built on the old uh, city jail as well, uh, down by the river. There is yes. a section of it. UCC left. Is, yeah. <laughs> you could walk around there and there's so much like different energies going on there because it's such a historical place. Mm. So that's one place as well. But it's not, it's not always like, let's say, bad energies, but you definitely know that there's not nothing going on there. So it, 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 it depends. So what will you be doing for, for Halloween, for the night itself? Uh, do you have any special rituals or anything like that? So it's a very kind of protective time because a lot of it, like when you're asking me about ghosts and spirits and things like that, it's a very kind of unknown area. And like, I'm not fully afraid of it, but I'm also like, okay, it's time to like, get a bit protective of 
the situation and people who kind of like it's in pop culture now a lot like the crystals and things like that but it's about like protecting your home and your space so it's a lot of like cleansing rituals like I've like incense going the whole time all candles making sure that there's no kind of dark corners in the house and things like that using crystals like tourmaline for example it's a black crystal any black crystals are totally protective and they'll protect your space and then some things like cinnamon really really good for refreshing your home and kind of bringing in like abundance and things like that because mm. full moons and stuff is a very very good time for doing any kind of ritual stuff like that with like intentions and things yeah. like that so i know people used to leave out uh my, my, my late father used to leave out a little glass of whiskey for the spirits and that was always gone the next morning so i, I always assumed it wasn't him actually it was the spirits that actually had drunk drank the jameson the next day but i know that people <laughs> there was a there was a kind of a sense of we we, we better be nice it's a, it's a time of year where you have to show respect to the spirit world absolutely yeah. and all the all the like trick-or-treating and stuff that actual yeah. tradition came from giving offerings to the spirits and that's they're all like a huge part of any ritual kind of things that uh people would do in the more kind of pagan sense would always include an offering if mm. someone holds a space and has a circle everyone's leaving kind of like maybe bread or it depends on the season really because yeah. Um, things like that but it's all about like offerings and things like that as you say mm. so it's huge and that's why that's why we have the trick-or-treating stuff for example okay, okay well Mia listen it's great to talk to somebody who's uh, that much invested in this especially at this time of year because like like I said there is the fun side of Halloween but there's also the spiritual side of, of Halloween as well and it's great that you know people I think are, are, are also aware of that as well so Mia thanks very much for talking to, to us this morning Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Okay. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. You want the biggest hits? Well, what if it's them? Real 90s. Be unreal. Other people be like, you want to hear your song? I'm like, yes. Love it. What a tune. You got them right here. The Hit Mix. The Hit Mix. On Cork's 96 FM. I want new music. I want to hear that new tune. Fresh. Fresh new music. The Hit Mix with Brian McAvoy. Everything I drop is a banger. The Hit Mix. On your smart speaker. On your phone. And on your radio. Weeknights from 8. On Cork's 96 FM. And we're going to stay on the Halloween theme because that's big this weekend, especially for kids. Um... Jack O'Keefe, a celebrity chef in Cork, well-known on TV and well-known to people in the city. Good morning to you, Jack. Good morning, Joe. I yeah. wouldn't say well-known, no. I'm only well-known to my mother. I okay, well. And my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're, we're, we're just going to big, big you up here, you know. you got to fake oh, until you. you make I'll it. I'll take you know? it. Yeah, too. Yeah. So, Jack, this is a time, this is the time here we, didn't, we wouldn't really normally associate with fine dining or our food ideas, really, unless you're talking about chocolate and uh, and cakes and stuff like that and peanuts but is it a time of year you can have fun with food as well? Joe, every night of the week is a fine dining night in the O'Keefe right, household. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, like, do you know, like gone are the days of, you know, pounding a load of sweet, five kilos of sweets into, into everybody and suffering from worms in for about two weeks, you yes. know, it, like we're moving on now to finer and better things and eating great quality food and mm. Just having fun with ingredients. Um, look, there's nothing wrong with a few sweets. You don't. Hello, Jack. 
Uh, I think we might have a problem with Jack. They're live radio, and we've had. I think it's the it's the uh, the Halloween gremlins have been uh, affecting us all week. There, we'll we'll have Jack back in a second. In the meantime, while we're waiting, uh, I'll tell you uh, one of the things that, that actually I saw in uh, on the news this morning. I saw it, or sorry, uh, on the journal. He actually was Ken Fox was writing about the CSO, um, that's the Central Statistics Office. They continue to release uh, information about our population at the moment, and the latest figures have come out are kind of interesting because they show that 12% of the population are of, of, in Ireland now non-Irish citizens. But one of the interesting things to me was that the biggest, the number, the most people that are coming out to Ireland are actually coming from India and that has changed recently because previously to that it was Poland and Brazil. So in the year leading up to the 2022 uh, census, almost 10,000 people came to Ireland from India, uh, 5,000 from Brazil and the biggest of the, the, the biggest, uh, you know, groups that are coming to us now are coming to us from India, from Brazil but also uh, from Poland and from EU countries like Spain France and Italy I saw recently that there was a, a in Cork City Centre that something in some parts of the very city centre it's like one in two people are non-nationals and I see that myself walking around the place so those are interesting figures from the CSO you can check them out, they're all over the newspapers today we do have Jack back to talk about Halloween food Jack can you hear me? Oh, I'm back, I'm back. I've climbed up a, a telephone mast here now and it's the phone held in the air. Great. Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't get hit by lightning or anything like that. Oh, that Jack, you were telling us it can be a time for, for having fun with food. It can. Yeah. Look, it, it, there's nothing wrong with a few sweeties every now and then, yeah. but it's good to get some proper food into you. And what I find is what's beautiful about this time of the year, I'm one of these people that suffer from... Uh, I don't know, I call them the winter blues. Yeah. That like the minute it starts to get cold and leaves change colour, I just instantly get depressed and <laughs> miss the summertime. But what cheers me up is the fact that because it's cold, because it's chilly in the mornings and you're wet and you're damp coming home from work, it's an excuse to eat more hearty, rich food. Yeah. Do you know? It's absolutely lush. So I have some beautiful recipes, right? Really easy ones just to kind of inspire people for the, for the weekend coming and the week coming ahead. Um, just to kind of get the the, ju- the creative juices flowing in people's heads when they're out doing their shopping or whatever. Um, and one of my favourite things to do this time of the year is obviously pumpkins. Pumpkins, pumpkins, pumpkins. But not just for carving or even like throwing at your doorstep or around the fireplace. They're actually for eating as well. And it's a great way of using up pumpkins. I'm actually going doing a, a kind of how to use up your pumpkins little uh, cookery demo in the Marina Marcus next uh, next weekend if anyone's around. But um well, that's great. You're going, to, so you're going to be down in the Marine Market and anybody can come along and see you there and get some ideas about uh, cooking with pumpkins. Yes, yeah, Saturday the 4th of November at 12am in the new farm shop that they've opened inside there. So I'll be down there doing a really casual around the table, not a fancy demo stage or anything, just me, a table and a hob and a few frying pans and I'll produce a few pumpkin recipes. But like, one of my favourite ones to do is actually pumpkin mac and cheese because everybody loves mac and cheese. Yeah. And pumpkin is really creamy when you puree it up. So it gives you that lovely kind of, I'm not going to say it's a healthier version of mac and cheese. It's probably just as bad for you, but it's more earthy. There's more veggies in it. Your kids are getting one of their five a day and so on. And all I do is, like, it's really, really simple. And it's the same way I'll make pumpkin soup. I won't even peel the pumpkin. I'll put as many pumpkins as I can fit into my oven. I'll preheat my oven to about 220 degrees Celsius. And as the pumpkins go in, I'll just just rub them in oil and and sprinkle salt over them. That's it. Bang them into the oven. The minute they go into the oven, close the door and turn the heat down to 180. As the heat drops, you see, it'll give a lovely dark kind of charred colour to the outside and make them a little bit smoky. Cook them in there for about 50 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on how big they are. When they're nice and brown and on the outside and charred up, 
take them out of the oven, leave them cool down a little bit because it'll be too hot to touch. And then all you do is with your hands, peel the skin off because it will come straight off once it's been roasted. And then just kind of cut it up, remove, scrape off the seeds with your knife, bang all that juicy pumpkin flesh into a blender or into a jug if you have a stick blender, knob of butter, um, and a little bit of veg stock. And when I say veg stock, like you can make your own or you can just go to the supermarket and buy a, a stock pot or a jelly stock pot or whatever, dilute with boiling water, and just pour that in, little drop of cream, bit of butter, salt, and white pepper, and just blitz it up until it's a puree. Now, if you want to make that into a soup, you just add more vegetable stock to it. It's as simple as that. Right. And it's a delicious, easy-to-make soup, and it's perfect for freezing. But for the mac and cheese, just make a puree, like the kind of consistency. You know when you go to a nice restaurant and they swoosh a puree across the place? Yeah. That kind of consistency is what you want. Kind of the consistency of, uh, I suppose, like cream cheese or something along those lines. Um, and then all you do is you cook your pasta in a pot of pasta sauce, or pasta water, whatever pasta you have. You can get macaroni or you can go with penne or rigatoni, whatever, and have a little frying pan next to you. Now, you can add in some bacon lard onto the pan, right, to give it that kind of uh, meatiness to it. Yeah. So just when the bacon lard is nice and crispy, take your, pasta, take your pasta out of the water and dunk it straight into the pan. Toss it around with all that lovely, delicious bacon fat that's inside there. And then take your puree, a few spoons of it, bung it into the pan, give it another toss, add like a handful of Irish cheddar or parmesan, toss it all together until it's nice and creamy. And if it's too thick and stodgy, just take a little ladle of the pasta cooking water and just adjust your consistency with that then. And it's as simple as that. If you want to do baked mac and cheese, just put it into a baking dish, cover it with more cheese and some breadcrumbs into the oven at 180 degrees for about 15 minutes until the breadcrumbs are golden. And it's absolutely phenomenal. That's it's really earthy. It'll warm you up. Yeah. It's great. Oh, you can freeze it, and it's great to frost it and just bang it into the oven when you come home on a, on a wet Wednesday. Um, or I have an, another lovely recipe. If you have a sweet tooth and you want to make something nice, I give these awesome shortbread biscuits. Really simple for the kids to make shortbread biscuits. And they're delicious and they're perfect for dunking in tea and coffee and whatever else they're having in the evenings. Um, all you have to do is weigh out 150 grams of plain flour, 100 grams of butter, 50 grams of caster sugar. Pop it all into a bowl and using your fingertips, what we call in the industry is the rubbing technique where you rub the butter into the flour and the sugar yeah. until it looks like breadcrumbs in the bowl, right? That should take about two to three minutes. Once you have that breadcrumb consistency, just bang it all into your hand and make almost like a, a like or I'd say, it's like bringing together a snowball. The same kind of technique as making a snowball as you would with making a dough ball. Bring it all together, flour your, your kitchen countertop, put the dough ball out, roll it out with a rolling pin. And if you want to go into a kind of an art and craft shop or any of the good baking shops that you find in town or any kind of cookware shops, you'll find uh, kind of this, this time of year, you'll find cookie cutters in the shapes of ghosts and pumpkins and so on. And you can cut your cookies out, pop them into the oven, if you have a fan oven, it is 150 degrees Celsius in the fan. And if you don't have a fan oven, it's 170 degrees. And cook those for about uh, about 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes until they're kind of set. Take them out of the oven, let them cool down. And then just using icing, water, you can make your icing for a nice kind of white icing. And then for like pumpkin colour or black or whatever, just put a little bit of food colouring into it and then just drizzle it over your cookies to give you that nice Halloween effect. Or you can make red icing for the kind of like the... A bloody witch finger yeah. or anything like that, you know. And it's so that's the short, that's the shortbread, short Halloween kind of shortbread biscuits. Um, th- those recipes are very simple. Do you have these up on your socials, by the way, if people want to check them out? 
I do actually. I have the yeah. pumpkin macaroni on my social. Now, right. I would have posted it, I'd say, about two years ago, so there's a bit of scrolling to get right. you to get to it. People will <laughs> find it. No, yeah, yeah. They'll find it, yeah. Okay. And that's on in- Instagram for yourself, is it? Or? On Instagram, at Chef Jack O'Keefe. You'll find Chef. me on all social media platforms. At Chef great, Jack O'Keefe. Great. Well, it's, it sounds like you're enthusiastic. Well, first of all, I, mean, I must say, people. a lot of people are going to be shocked to find out you can actually eat pumpkins because most Irish people, you know, just kind of carve them up, stick them outside the door. But you, you're saying you can actually, I know that they have pumpkin pie in the US but it's not something that we're it's not something that we're that used to eating in this country is it? No it's not but like we've been eating butternut squash for years and yeah. it's the same thing part yeah. of the same family you know uh, you know and like the, but a, a one bit of advice is if you carve your pumpkin I wouldn't eat it after you carve it so if you carve it into a, a face and you put a candle inside yeah. it and you leave it outside <laughs> no, don't eat that because you don't know what's gone made, made, it, made a home inside it yeah, or what gotcha. on it or yeah, that's, yeah, that's what a, chemicals are on the candle and yeah, so on that, that's sound advice was, uh, was Halloween a big deal growing up for you? huge like my dad's American like, oh. and my, my mum just loved celebrating holidays so right. ev- like there was more decorations in our house than there would have been at Christmas time yeah. like you'd be walking on the court you'd be coming out the bathroom and all of a sudden there'd be a lot of fake cobwebs in your face you know <laughs> and uh, it did, was just- did you do thanks I mean, assuming you did Thanksgiving as well did you uh, a little bit. We do right. a little Thanksgiving dinner as like a, it was kind of like foreplay for Christmas dinner, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Just preparing yourself for it. And I find by the time you get to Christmas, you're sick of turkey and ham. Yeah, yeah. Even though I'm a spiced beef man now myself, yeah, but same here. you're sick of turkey and ham, especially being a chef. I'm a hundred percent sick of turkey and ham right. by the time I get to Christmas. So at Thanksgiving, it's kind of like oh, you're kind of like all excited and it's different yeah. and it's new and you get to have a feast. Um, but no, growing up, Halloween was huge in our house, absolutely massive. And it was just such a pity that we lived in the middle of nowhere in a bungalow. Right. Like, no one ever wanted to trick and treat our house. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and it is actually, you do kind of feel sorry for kids when, you know, if they're living out the country and they're not, you know, in, in the States or anything like that. And you're kind of thinking, you know, they're seeing it on TV, all the trick or treating. And then they're kind of going, well, you know, we'd need to, we'd need to get a four by four to do it, to trick or treat around the neighborhoods. But it's a, it's, and will you be, will, will you be doing anything special for Halloween yourself? Will you be cooking? for friends or anything like that? I don't know yet. I haven't yeah. decided. I'm half thinking of bringing my uh, my young nephew, Harry, to uh, to Shandon for the parade oh, on yeah. the night. Because it's so good. Like, I just, yeah. we, we're just, we're actually, myself and my wife are moving home this weekend to be permanently back in Cork now forever. No oh, more commuting. Yeah. No more Dublin. Back home in, yeah. the, in, in the true capital. Yeah. So we've never got to properly celebrate as adults, you know, in the mm. city. From the minute we both finished college, we both took off to Dublin. So yeah. like, it's great to be home. It's great to be around family again. And it's just, we probably will. We'll have a little outside winter barbecue with our jackets on after coming home from the parade. That's the and Dragon of yeah. Shandon, which we'll be talking about in a while, which is a great event for everybody. But listen, Jack, that sounds great. And listen, welcome home as well. You're making the right choice. That's all I can say. Oh, to look, the accent is coming back now as well. <laughs> okay, great. Jack O'Keefe, thanks for talking to us. And you're in the Marina Market next Saturday at 12 o'clock doing some uh, pumpkin-themed cooking demonstrations, if anybody wants to go along and can see you there. Super. Okay, thanks, Jack. Now, we're going to stay again with Halloween because it is such a big event. And we're talking to a lady who I think also has connections to the Marina Market because I've seen her there on Saturday mornings. Esther Ring, good morning. Hi, PJ, how are you? Uh, it's Joe, actually. It's Joe no, in for sorry, PJ. My <laughs> That's okay, no problem. No problem at all. Come here, considering what's gone on with the phones this morning, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. That's it. There's no problem. <laughs> Esther, people will know you. You're with Top Barks Dog Training. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you know, you know all about puppies, socialization, all that kind of stuff. But you also know about dogs and behavior and what's good for dogs and what's bad for dogs. And this is something that comes up every year, but it's something that 
dog owners are very, very concerned about because, of course, Halloween, even though fireworks are illegal in Ireland, there's fireworks everywhere, there's loud noises, there's lots going on, bangs in the dark. It's a difficult time of year for dogs, isn't it? It definitely is. I just want to say thanks, guys, for highlighting this important topic because the more we talk about it, the more we keep them safe. Yeah. So I've just made out a few points for you, which are the the best points to kind of keep dogs safe during Halloween. Mm. Um, And if you want to go through those, that would be great. We'll talk about that. But but first of all, here's dogs hate loud noises, don't they? And what's the reason for that? So basically, so dogs have what's called a startle reflex. So it's a behavior that they have and they get this, this startle reflex starts to come into play about between 12 and 14 weeks of age after their critical socialization period. So basically, if you think about a, a wild animal in the wild and something loud or, or startling happens, their fight, flight or freeze response, which is the sympathetic nervous system, not going to too much science, and mm. um, it kicks into play because it keeps you alive. Basically, it's, it's a survival of the fittest. Yeah. So if something really scary happens, either a predator starts to chase you, a loud bang makes a noise, and it's the same as us. You know that if you ever got a start, if you came around the corner and somebody was in the bedroom or somebody was in the room that you didn't expect, and you get that fright, that's your sympathetic nervous system kicking into play. Yeah. So with loud noises, some dogs are bomb-proof and some dogs are super, super sensitive. Yeah. So what you do is the dogs don't have the middle-of-the-road logic. So if we heard a really loud, loud bang here, and I'm in the middle of the marina market at the moment, so if I heard a really loud bang at the moment, I'd turn around and I'd look around at the environment and I'd say, okay, what could that loud bang actually be? You know, what was it? Did somebody drop a pallet? Did somebody mm. drive into something? And I'd logically try to find the reason for it. Unfortunately, dogs don't do this. So they hear the loud bang and they react. They either react with it with fight, flight or freeze response. And this is why Halloween can be so difficult for them because you have continuous loud noises or continuous strange things happening in what's normally a familiar place for them, the secure place for them, their yeah, home, basically. And, and you can't, you're right, you can't explain it to them. You can't say, don't no, worry about no. that. And they don't get used to it either, do they? Because well, they, they can, you can, you can get used to it. So right. habitu- habituation can take place. So mm. if you think about it, when you bring a dog into your house for the first time, they have to become habituated to the sound of the, of the hoover, mm. the sound of the washing machine, the sound of the fridge, the sound of the TV, the sound of the radio. Oh, there's people talking, but I can't see those people. So dogs can become habituated, but it must be pleasant and uh, a pleasurable experience for them to make good synapses in their brain to say, OK, that's actually not a bad thing. That's, that's, I, I can deal with that. Actually, but when we have things like fireworks that we don't ever have normally... Yeah then they're a one-off event and yeah. it's like thunder and lightning is sent. It's a one-off event that we can't really predict for. Yes. You could do training if you're very good um, <laughs> at very young ages and plays sound like, you know, traffic and 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 loud noises um, and possibly thunder and lightning. But again, it's a very instinctual behaviour, the fight flesher's response to scary events. Yeah. So give us some practical tips, though, because we're, you know, we have a little puppy at home. Um, and actually, Aww. the funny thing here is, right, the, um, I had friends who had two dogs. They had a little Jack Russell and they had a giant German Shepherd. And when it came to stuff like this, the Jack Russell was absolutely cool as a breeze. The German <laughs> Shepherd would hide under, like, yeah. try to get under a coach to hide from stuff. And so yeah. it's, not, it's not how big the dog are or how size, brave the dog size is. Size does not matter yeah. in the dog world at all. Yeah. Size does not matter. So yeah. you can be uh, and the biggest dog in the world, but you are so scared inside. You can be the smallest dog in the world and you can be rude in the roost. Yeah. So I see it time and time again. Yeah. 
Yeah. So some practical tips. You have a dog, it's going to be loud on, on Halloween and actually going into it as well with fireworks and other stuff going on. What, what, what are the things Perfect. you should be looking out to do? So our number one tip is to make sure that your dog is up to date with the microchip. It has its microchip and it has its ID tag on it. Mm. Um, so that you'll have your dog fully identified and the microchip and also to make sure that your details are up to date on the microchip um, uh, website, Fido.ie. So making sure that if you, if you recently only got your puppy or if you recently only adopted the dog, making sure that it's your details that are on the Fido um, uh, website or platform so that you're up to date. So that'll be the first one. Making sure that we have a secure area for the dog or puppy away from the front door because what happens is trick-or-treaters come every five seconds, ding-dong, yeah. ding-dong, ding-dong. And what happens is we get, oh my God, they're here again, and we forget about the door. I forget about the door all the time in my house. I have two small children. They're always going up and out, out the front door. And every now and again, you'll be like, oh, mind the dog, because she's like, oh, front door, I'm going to go out to the garden for a sniff. So we want to make sure that the front door um, is, is a no-go area for the dogs and they're away from that hustle and bustle because it's just one less stress that you have with the dog having to look after children and dogs and trick-or-treaters and everything else. Right. And what about keep kind of... Is it important to kind of like pay attention to the dog and let them know that you're there, you're, you're caring for them, they're in a kind of a safe space? Yeah, so what is so in a secure, safe space will be probably their favourite place in the house. Yeah. You know, if you can find a favourite place. If, if you've crate-trained your dog or puppy... Um, generally the crate is the best place to put them if you have used a crate training process yeah. um, if they have a secure area if they have their little bed in the living room then just offer that to them so like, you know the best thing that I say to people is to make sure that we go for a nice long walk early in the day yes. do a little bit of playing do a little bit of training and then by the time 5 or 6 o'clock comes offer them a nice tasty reward such as a stuffed Kong or a chew or um, something that really you can get a lot of stuff down in the pet shops now. That'd be nice and chewy. That was something that mightn't get um, or too often, so it's a real treat. And then chewing helps to release and the happy hormones and um, dopamine and help release serotonin and get rid of the stress and anxiety. It's the same as a baby with a soother. Yeah. So chewing is a very chewing and licking is a very natural behaviour for dogs, so it helps them to relax. Yeah, and I suppose so when, I suppose if the dog gets a lot of exercise in advance as well, it's going to be he's going to be tired. They're going to be tired, and, and they, they might just flop out then in, in their safe space and kind of be a bit more chilled. They can, they can, they can for some dogs, and they can for some do- for other dogs. Dogs that are a little bit stressed, or a little bit nervous, or find things a little bit anxious. Sometimes being out and about makes them more stressed. Right. So it all depends. So once you know your dog, so if you have a dog that kind of doesn't like to go out and walk, is very stressed already. It's a busy time of year. I only came in there in through the city just a, just a while ago and there was lots of people dressed up. And when like we take it for granted, we see somebody wearing, I think he was dressed up as um, a Paw Patrol outfit and I was laughing. Um, but like when we see him dressed up, we take no notice. But to a dog, it's like, why does that suddenly person have ears in their head and a tail hanging out from behind them? Why are they all different colours? So you have to understand everything's a little bit more different for them. Yeah. So depending on, depending on your dog, do what's right for your dog. If they love to have a lovely game of ball with you or tugging a toy or um, a little training session, that's far more beneficial than taking them out for a walk if they get stressed. If you yeah. have a bomb-proof dog, you can do all three. Yeah. But the idea is that we're um, expending that energy 
in order for helping them to relax in the time that's going to be stressful. Yeah. And I suppose we can say as well, like I said earlier, fireworks are supposed to be illegal in this country. People get them. Okay, and that's fine. People get them. They want to use them, fine. But if people can be a bit more sensible as well and not leave them off directly outside houses because you see that all the time and you're kind of thinking there's a green over there or you could go away a bit away from the houses and you could do the exact same thing if you just walked 50 yards in that direction. Mm, I suppose yeah. it's up to people, to, to, to the parents especially, to say to their kids or to if, they're ha- if they have fireworks to say, listen, just stay away from houses. Will you please just stay away from houses? 100%. Stay away from houses and I wouldn't, like I know now we always say keep dogs in and keep them secure and there always may be a dog out. If you have something that looks like something that you have thrown into the air or something that can be tossed into yeah. the air, oh God, a yeah. dog can't differentiate between yeah. that and something that's nor- normally thrown to them, such as a toy. Yeah. So it's really dangerous. I have seen really horrific images from years ago of dogs catching fireworks mid-throw yeah. um, just because they just instinctually it's a toy and it's a bad accident. And obviously we've had bad incidents with children that are kind of very dangerous. So the best thing to do is just make sure that the, uh, the, your, your dog is in a secure location at the back of the house, either um, if the garden is secure or if they're, if they're in the kitchen and they're secure. And another idea would be if, you, if they are using a crate, to cover over the crate with a nice dark blanket um, and then put on something like you'd be laughing at. But we can put on 96 FM, but also like Lyric FM or classical music <laughs> has been proven to relax dogs. Yeah. So um, anything that's soft in the music or anybody yeah. reading a story, like, you know, like um, an audio book, yeah. so that there's a bit of sound drowning out um, the noise that's happening. Because even if you say 50 or 100 metres away from the house, you know how those echo, they echo like thunder around the, yes. the environment. So okay. they do. Esther Ring of Top Barks uh, Dog Training thanks for much for talking to us this morning thank you no problem you're very welcome thank okay. you join the conversation this is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing focus solely on your hearing health for over 35 years they're all ears visit hiddenhearing.ie Corks 96 Joe Shea sitting in for PJ uh, ahead of the Guinness Jazz Festival this weekend of course in Cork a big big weekend for the city a lot of people in town but if you're not in the city and if you're in West Cork and if you know West Cork well you know the village of Lep and you'll know that they every year and they've been doing it for a few years now they have the uh, fantastic uh, Scarecrow Festival um, which is uh, basically a kind of a a fantastic celebration of, um, of Halloween down in Lep, um, which is of course uh, the village in West Cork, near Union Hall and on the way to Glandor. Um, so we're going to be talking to somebody now uh, who's involved in the festival and let's see if we have, and hopefully we do, Ruth Ann Sheen. Are you with us, Ruth? Ruth Ann, can you hear me? Oh. I don't think she's there at the moment. Um, so I tell you what, we can actually. There's, it's an, uh, the Lep Scarecrow Festival is not the only thing going on this weekend, uh, because we also have in the city uh, the Dragon of Shandon, which is a big, big event um, every year in Shandon, and uh, one one of the kind of most spectacular events, and especially around Halloween. So uh, let's see if we have Casey Walsh. Casey, can you hear me? I can. Hi, how are you, Joe? Fantastic. I'm. Great, and I'm very relieved to be talking to you, Casey. <laughs> so tell us, what, what night is the, the, the Dragon of Shandon on this, uh, this year? So Dragon of Shandon this year is falling on Tuesday, so right. it's on Halloween night, October 31st, yeah. and the parade will be starting at 7pm. Yeah, And I like the fact that you're, at, you're waiting and you're doing it, rather than just doing it at the weekend, that you're waiting for, for Halloween, that, the night itself, because I think it's important, isn't it, to do it on, on the right night? 
It is exactly. We do it on Halloween every year, and this is its 18th year, so we're definitely not going to change it now. It's always going to be on the 31st, okay. regardless of what day that falls on. Right. Now, I've seen The Dragon of Shandon, and a lot of people have, but just in case, if people don't know, they just uh, describe for us. Tell us, what is The Dragon of Shandon? What will people see on the night? Yeah, so The Dragon of Shandon is basically a big Halloween parade um, that celebrates Halloween, and it involves a lot of local community groups, volunteers. So we're going to have four to 500 participants. We're going to have a lot of large-scale floats. There's about seven big floats, including our big dragon, which is our showstopper, of course. Mm. And we'll have a lot of dance performances. We're going to have a choir singing. We're going to have, you know, some circus happening um, all along the parade. And the parade is going to start, of course, in Shandon. So it's going to go down Shandon Street, across the bridge, up to North Main Street, and then turn onto Castle Street and finish up on the Cold Key. And we'll have a few little performances at the end then. Yeah. That's great because it's not just in Shannon because I know that Shannon, of course, is a, it can be it's a narrow street and it's a big <laughs> hill. So you don't have to necessarily see it on Shannon. Now, it is spectacular to see the, the dragon coming down there and coming down to the river. Uh, and it is very, it's a fantastic, it's like a really spooky parade and there's loads <laughs> of colour and loads of, but you don't have to, you don't have to kind of crowd into, into Shannon. If you, if you have young kids, for instance, you can just line along the, the, the North Main Street, as you say, Castle Street as it swings around there or go on to the cold case. So there's lots of space and lots of good vantage points, aren't there? There is, 100%. All along the route, like, um, you can line up all along the route, uh, and we do finish up on the cold key, and there's a lot of space down there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, and there is, and there'll be, so there'll be kind of performances along there. So it's, it's you know, it's... Um, it's one for it's a family event really as well. I mean, it is a bit scary, and uh, you, you want your kids maybe to kind of be prepared to see a big scary giant dragon coming down the street. But <laughs> it, it, it is it, it's a real family event, isn't it? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, a lot of our parade has young people in it, a lot of kids involved. So, hundred percent, it is a family friendly yeah. event. And four to five hundred people, lots of community groups involved. I know every year you you ask for people for pushers, uh, people to to actually push the floats along and and get these going. Or do you have is every Everything set up and you have everything ready to go? We do have everything ready to go, but again, we are always grateful. If more volunteers want to come on board, yeah. please do contact us. Yeah. The more the merrier, the more help the merrier we are a charity, yeah. Core Community Art Link, so the more help we can yeah. get, the better. So even at this late stage, if people want to get involved and help out in any way, they can still do so? Yeah, 100%. Right. And how do they do that? you have a Facebook page? How do they get in contact? You can definitely contact through our social medias or you can contact us on info at corecommunityartlink.com. Okay, so it's uh, that's fantastic. Listen, Casey, the best of uh, best of luck with that. If anybody's, if you haven't been to the Dragon of Shannon before, I would heartily recommend it. It's a great event. Thanks very much, Casey Walsh. No problem. Thanks okay. so much, Joe. And staying with great events, uh, we have got Ruth Ann, I believe. Ruth Ann, can you hear me? I certainly can. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Almost good afternoon. Good, How nearly, are you? Nearly good afternoon. <laughs> yeah. uh, you have the Lep Scarecrow Festival. Uh, tell me what it's running. It's is it this weekend and into next week? Exactly. It's right. actually in full swing at the moment. Right. So we started on Monday with everybody getting their scarecrows up last weekend, and yeah. many more have arrived since. Um, and uh, the, the competition starts to close as of now, but yeah. the judging will start at the weekend. So, yeah, it's. Uh, going extremely well again this year. We're seeing more scarecrows in Lep than people, yeah. which uh, we always love to see. Fantastic. So if people want to get down to Lep, uh, there's loads of stuff going on through this weekend in, into the week and uh, it's a great spooky experience for everybody, isn't it? It is. And this year we're 
police say we've even more events going on, particularly a few indoor activities as well, given the weather and the way it has been over the past number of weeks. So our first event starts this evening, for instance, we have a mythical goddess photograph exhibition that was a self-funded community project by the same women, actually, who do the witch's dance performance, which happens on a Sunday evening. So we started with creating a calendar. Twelve women got together and over time that grew and now we've had up to 25 people uh, get involved. So we're very excited about that. We're going to celebrate that with a bit of cheese and wine and gambling, orchestra, music as well Fantastic. So that's indoors. So like a full programme of events, if people even, what's 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 the best way to get information and people looking for it? The easiest way is to look at our Let's Scarecrow Festival Facebook page. And we also have a website as well uh, under Let's Scarecrow Festival. Yeah, so if you just put in Let's Scarecrow Festival into your search bar, it's going to come up. Ruthanne, we don't have, don't have a lot of time to talk to you because we have had problems with our phone and WhatsApp systems today. It's no probably problem. Halloween gremlins, but definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely, if you if you can make it down to West Cork and Lep, it's a lovely village anyway, it's a lovely part of the world, but they really push the boat out and make a big, big, big effort for Halloween. So Ruthann, Sheehan, thanks very much for talking to us Thank today. you so much and for taking the time. Appreciate it. Yeah, and the best of luck with it. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Coach 96 FM.